Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. By now, you have probably heard the big news uh, breaking about four hour, four and a half hours ago. The uh, news magazine, the the publication Politico, has received a leak of a draft opinion that w- would essentially reverse Roe versus Wade. A couple of things. On this, and then I want to give you a, an opportunity to talk about it. One eight hundred eight four eight WABC. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I've been listening to Rita Cosby. I've been listening to Dominic Carter for the last three hours, and a lot of the callers and a lot of the hosts, and in the case of Rita, certainly at least one of the guests, made a number of fascinating points. And I, as I just said to Dominic. You know, there are all sorts of things to consider when it comes to abortion, not only an individual's right, um, at least as it stands now, to choose whether or not to have an abortion, but what role public policy should play. I mean, even if you're it's so easy to make this a black and white issue, pro-choice versus pro-life, but a lot of people are somewhere in between that. For instance, a lot of folks will support a woman's right to uh, have an abortion in the first trimester. But if you wanted to abort your baby the day before your due date, I think a lot of people might have a problem with that. So there are all sorts of policy restrictions. There's issues related to funding and federal funding. There's issues related to uh, the trimester involved here. There's all sorts of issues. And yet. For the last 50 years, the defining statute, well, it's not a statute, the defining issue on the subject of abortion has been a court decision, a court decision written by unelected judges. So why are judges who aren't elected by anyone the ultimate arbiter of something that so many people have an opinion about. My view has already always been, whatever your opinion is of abortion, my view has generally been that Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided. And it's not because I'm pro-life. I believe that Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided because they essentially invented this right to privacy 
as part of the 14th Amendment when that was really never, never intended to be a part of the of the Constitution. Well, all right. Well, I'm not going to relitigate Roe versus Wade. A um, couple of things before I go to a few of the cuts that um, that uh, Rita Cosby had of uh, Alan Dershowitz yesterday. One, uh, let me tell you what's coming up on today's show. Joey Reynolds is going to be here. Chances are, if you are somebody that listens to overnight radio, you're familiar with Joey Reynolds. He was a staple on WOR for many years. Uh, I'll look forward to chatting with him about radio, about late night radio, about all sorts of things. We'll find out what he's up to now. And it is Mental Health Awareness Month. And I have have always been interested in the issue of mental health. And I'm particularly interested in it now. And I'm going to be joined by Dr. Keith Abloh in the 4 o'clock hour to talk about all the warning signs that people should be on the lookout for and what we as a country could do better when it comes to addressing mental health. Now, uh, let's discuss this leak situation. For starters, you got to understand that this is nearly unprecedented in modern history. We've heard whispers at times of what the court would do, but we haven't always we, we've seen never seen anything like this. I mean, the chief justice, John Roberts, has got to be pulling his hair out because this is a very poor reflection on the court and on the staff of the court. Do you know how difficult we don't know who the leak is here and who's responsible for the leak? But do you know how difficult it is to become a clerk? For a Supreme Court justice, it's incredibly difficult. It's it's almost like winning the lottery. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. And there's a reason that so many of the current Supreme Court justices were once clerks for other Supreme Court justices, because this this little fraternity of people of justices and staff that work for the justices that guard privacy very closely. And this is a breach of Supreme Court tradition and decorum like I've never seen. It's very, very interesting. Now, um, the first thing I think a lot of us have to ask as we look at this draft opinion that Justice Alito wrote, appears to have written, is, is it real? Or is this some sort of a fabrication? Alan Dershowitz was on with Rita Cosby a few hours ago. And he addressed that. Well, it sounds authentic to me. I've looked at the opinion. It looks like an Alito opinion. And Alito would be a logical person to write a majority opinion overruling Burrow versus Wade. The big issue, the big mystery, it's going to be a terrific mystery to be solved is who leaked it. And I have a theory. All I have is a theory. And my theory is that it was leaked by a law clerk who was very pro upholding Roe versus Wade, who was very opposed to reversing it. And he leaked it to Politico, which would be sympathetic to that view, in order to try to maybe get some change. Because if nothing, if it weren't leaked, the decision would probably come down in June and it would overrule Roe versus Wade. And now the leaking has will result in Congress uh, wanting maybe to pack the court between now and then and get two more justices or maybe uh, an attempt to get national legislation passed supporting uh, a woman's right to choose abortion. But this was not just a leak uh, for 
the usual Washington, D.C. purposes. This was a leak with a purpose, I believe, by a person, a law clerk who was willing to engage in an act of civil disobedience, risking their own career um, for making this leak. As if somebody's caught, their career is over. Look, what Dershowitz said there seems to hold true. I I would guess he's exactly right for exactly the reasons that uh, that he just stated. And then he went on to say with Rita that he thinks whoever's responsible if they're caught could actually be disbarred at the very least. I was speaking with another attorney and uh, who follows this stuff pretty closely, who knows several of the justices personally. And he indicated that he thought that um, there could even be very even stiffer penalties than just disbarment. Uh, I would just add the thing that I have been saying of about what the Republicans need to look out for in the midterm elections 24, because as of right now, the Republicans politically look very well positioned. They look very well positioned to take back both houses of Congress. They look very well positioned to win some key governorships and a whole bunch of other things, some a bunch of local elections as well. I've said the Republicans need to look out for two things. One is the states, Louisiana, Texas, uh, and others, Mississippi, passing these abortion restrictions and turning off moderate voters. Because as it stands now, you have a whole bunch of moderate voters who are all set to turn on the Democrats in droves because of inflation, because of the border, because of crime, because of Ukraine, because of Afghanistan, because of X, Y, and Z. And a lot of them happen to be pro-choice voters. And that's an important issue for them. And I think the Republicans may have seriously damaged their electoral prospects. The other thing that I've said that could hurt them for 2024 is that uh, in 2022, if the Republicans do win both houses, I think they should be careful not to overreach with something like an impeachment of Joe Biden, which seems which seems um, likely to be honest at this point. But uh, we can put that second aspect aside. So let me know what you think about this. 800-848-WABC. And some folks may be asking, why is Justice Alito the person writing the opinion here? Well, the way the Supreme Court works is if whatever the justices that are in the majority, if the chief justice is among them, the chief justice gets to pick who writes the opinion, including himself. If the chief justice is not in the majority, as appears now, uh, he appears to be siding with the liberals on this on this uh, question. Then whoever the longest serving justice is gets to pick who writes the decision, including himself. In that case, that means it would be Justice Thomas that gets to select who writes the decision. And he would have selected Alito. So that's why Alito's the person here. We don't know who's writing the dissent, at least as of now, unless there's another major leak. Although I would guess that they're going to really clamp down on some security procedures here. But um, it is interesting to me. And we'll see what happens. 800-848-9222. What does happen sometimes is sometimes they'll circulate a draft of this opinion, of, of any opinion. And because the Supreme Court and their staff have such a good reputation on not leaking this stuff out there, a lot of times, you know, not a lot of times, always the public doesn't know what's in these opinions, in the draft of these opinions, but they'll then have people change their mind 
Sometimes they'll want to write a separate concurrent opinion where they don't change their vote, but they'll just change their reasoning behind their vote. And then other times, if they really change their mind, they will simply change their vote and dissent. That does happen after you see the language. So I think Dershowitz is right. I think someone who is strongly in favor of Roe versus Wade might be the person responsible for this leak so that either a a democratic congress packs the court while they're still in the majority and while Biden's still president or b so much pressure is brought to bear on the justices that they that at least one of them changes their mind we'll see what happens hey um Dershowitz made a similar point about how this could backfire on the republicans this is what he said well i think it, i think it will backfire i think it will hurt the republicans electorally uh, in the short term, it might help them. But in the long term, the vast majority of Americans support a woman's right to choose abortion. And that will become a legislative issue now, and it will probably hurt the Republicans. Um, this is historic. Uh, I myself strongly uh, oppose reversing Roe versus Wade, whether it was right or wrong when decided is not the issue. It's been the law for 50 years. Yeah, and that is an argument that even Chief Justice Roberts made during his confirmation hearings. A lot of people could take issue with how Roe was decided initially, but it's been essentially case law for 50 years. And something called stare decisis basically says let the decision stand rather than undo it. Uh, Dershowitz also talked to Rita Cosby about how this could indeed put pressure on the Democrats to pack the court. I think there's going to be tremendous pressure on the Democratic majority to... uh um, pack the court. Now, can they do it with a 50-50 split in the Senate? I don't think so, but it's possible. Could they pass national right to abortion legislation with a 50-50 Senate? I don't know. Um, and so uh, all I believe is that the law clerk who leaked this, and that's who it probably was, uh, did it for a purpose in an attempt to try to reverse this. Um, probably somebody who felt that this is so important, so critical, that he or she is willing to risk their career to do it. 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. A lot of good callers on hold. We'll we'll go in chronological order, I suppose, and begin with Neil on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. Let me just say two things. The first one is I'm not surprised at a leak. Uh, it seems that the, this Democratic uh, administration has been leaking everything from the Trump impeachment to the Adam Schiff committee uh, to Kevin McCarthy's uh, phone call. So the leak doesn't surprise me. What does surprise me, Frank, is the Democratic politicians tonight. Uh, I'll use Schumer as an example. We're saying a woman can't you can't tell a woman what to do with her body. But yet the same politicians told a fireman and a cop. Uh, if you yeah. don't take the vaccine, you're out of a job. Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, other people have made that same point. You know, when Marlena Shivo is here, she always brings up that same that same point. Basically, wh- why are the same folks almost exactly what you just said? Why are the same folks that say I should be able to control my reproductive health not trusting me to make decisions about vaccines? I get that, and um, the reality is, and thanks for the call, Neil. The reality is, it's very unlikely that uh, that any actual restrictions on abortion will change in New York. New York's state legislature a couple of years ago passed uh, some legislation 
that would enshrine the rights of Roe versus Wade in New York state. So unless a Republican Congress were to come in and a Republican president and then pass a federal abortion ban, the chances are nothing would change in New York, in New Jersey, in Connecticut. The places where it would change are places like Texas, maybe Florida, maybe Louisiana, maybe Mississippi, places of that nature. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. It's going to be very interesting. Let me say hello to Mario in Manhattan. Hello, Mario. Yes, good morning, sir. Uh, in the latter part of last month, you had a guest you interviewed. I believe he was a forecaster of sorts. And uh, he made some predictions. And I want to know, is it possible that the revelations we heard today about uh, the president of Russia with his uh, health condition and this about the Supreme Court, maybe some way uh, what he was thinking of? Uh, you know, I don't know. I can't speak for him. I, I think you're p- talking about Dr. Turi. I will invite him back and I will ask him that uh, specifically. It's a good question. I don't know, though, uh, Mario, to be honest. So I'll uh, I'll get him back on the show sometime soon. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Michael's in Brooklyn. Hello, Michael. Hey, how you doing, Frank? Uh, one thing about the Supreme Court justices, they're uh, uh, not appointed, they're selected and then voted on. So they're kind of voted on, you know, you can say that or not. But the Sandra Day O'Connor, when she wrote the brief, well, well, the, the, and, and I'll let you make your point on a bridge. But just so folks are not unclear about the nature of the selection process, the president nominates and the Senate confirms. So that if you're not a senator or a president, you don't have any real say in terms of the the you know the justice. Right, but you do you do pick the president and you do pick the senator. Right, right. But then these people, because of life tenure, they're making policy, they're making law for thirty five, forty years, long after Uh, these votes have been cast. This is why they stay uh, above the fray, so they're not worried about losing their job if they don't make the right decision based on popularity. Yeah, well, uh, but go ahead. What was the rest of your point, Michael? Well, the best thing is, like, I I was spat upon because I said, why can't we end abortions by ending unwanted pregnancies? Now, what they do in Israel is that Israel government pays for all the abortions, and but you go for before a tribunal of three people, most, most of the time it's two women and one man. And they decide if the woman can have an abortion. And 99% of the people, the abortions go through. The husband can speak if, he, if, uh, if, he, if she's married, uh, if not, and he has no deciding factor. But they drop their recidivism of abortions by 79% in one year. All right. Well, that's something. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I I, mean, that is a policy issue and a political issue, not necessarily oh, yeah, yeah. not necessarily a, a legal one. Now, I, I see. I don't I don't love that idea. And I appreciate where where it's coming from. But I think it would lead to even greater intrusion into people's individual lives. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, which, accountability. But right. They also teach the women that are a little maybe not as sophisticated in birth control. Yeah, I I, I can understand that, Michael. I understand where you're coming from. Uh, That has nothing to do with this decision at all.
Uh, I just want to be very clear. Nothing to do with this opinion so far. And that still wouldn't happen in New York or New Jersey. So I think we can have a discussion about whether Roe versus Wade was rightly decided, whether, or as you heard from Dershowitz, whether it was rightly decided or not. You could say, look, it's been essentially the law forever. It should stick stick around due to star A decisis. Then is a whole separate discussion about who's responsible for this leak, what should happen to them. And then there's a whole separate discussion about the political ramifications of this. Do you believe, as Dershowitz and I do, that this is going to have some significant blowback against the Republicans this year. I'll continue with your calls in uh, just a minute. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 77 WABC. Tell me, when will you be mine? Tell me, quando, quando, quando We can share a love divine Please don't make me wait again When will you say yes to me? Tell me, quando, quando, quando to me Oh my love please tell me when Every moment's a day Every day seems a lifetime The great Engelbert Humperdinck you know I was remiss yesterday I did not mention that it was Engelbert Humperdinck's birthday yesterday I apologize for that and uh, he is still Going strong at, I believe, 85 years old. I'm hoping to get him on the show sometime soon. He's a terrific, terrific performer. If you're just tuning in, we're talking a little bit about this leak uh, that was published of a draft. It was published in Politico of a draft opinion written by Justice Alito regarding the uh, the abortion decision, which was expected next month. So now what changes? Are we going to see one of these justices switch sides? Are we going to see Congress Try to add a few more justices to even things out a bit? Or are we going to see such a tsunami of money and enthusiasm on the part of the Democrats this year that everybody, that this expected Republican landslide that everyone was expecting for November in the midterms may not actually take place? What do you think? 800-848-WABC. William is in Tacoma. William, are you in Tacoma, Washington? Yes. Oh, right. Wow. Frank. The flattered that you're listening to us all the way out there. Well, there's nothing else to do at nighttime when it's raining. There you go. That's that. That's what we like. We're the, we are the radio hey, show uh, for people that have nothing else to do. Well, I listen to Rita Clark Cosby, and she's uh, got a lot of interest to what's going on, and uh, she's really good, and uh, I listen to her at nighttime now. And anyhow, I, I think this is much ado about nothing. Uh, just like uh, the, the Supreme Court did in Pennsylvania, they're going to punt this back. It's not right, and it's, they're going to take it back to the states. 
and they're just uh, just floating a a travel balloon right now. No, well, when you say about the people going to the street, yeah, William, 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 when when you say they're going to punt it back to the states, you mean by by repealing Roe and the other abortion case, Casey versus Planned Parenthood? You mean by undoing those decisions, they're going to kick it back to the states? Yeah, and each state's going to have a political site, and it's going to be uh, put to the people. Well, and, yeah, I mean, it won't be gonna, it won't be a plebiscite. Okay, thank you, William. You keep talking over me. It's really annoying. I know we're having some phone problems, I guess, but you you don't have to keep talking over me. Um, but yeah, I said that. I said that whatever happens with this decision, the it's unlikely that this could change things in New York or New Jersey. In New Jersey, well, New York is interesting in that at least the leading Republican running for governor at this point is Lee Zeldin. Now, Lee Zeldin is pro-life. I still don't think he would ever be able to pass anti-abortion legislation through the state legislature, especially one that's as overwhelmingly Democrat as the state legislature is in New York. In New Jersey, Jack Cittarelli, when he was running, he was asked about this during a debate, and he said he would have no problem permanently enshrining the legislation in New Jersey protecting the same rights that Roe versus Wade offers. So um, the caller is somewhat right in that this doesn't mean that abortion ends, you know, the next day after this decision, but it does pave the way in states like Texas for many abortion restrictions. 800-848-WABC. Michael is in West Virginia. Hello, Michael. Hey. Hey. Frank, uh, good morning. Morning. Uh, I, I don't know. I think this just smells to high heaven, and I think it's uh, an orchestration by the DNC to take our eye off the ball. I think we're going to end up chasing our tail about a you know, Roe versus Wade, abortion, when, uh, you know, and it was just like in the news before you came on where they're saying that uh, COVID is back on the rise. I sort of believe by October we're going to be under a lockdown again, and I think they're going to take the play from 2020 to 2022 as far as the elections go, and it's all going to be mail-in ballots, and we know how all that played out. Well, um, okay, you said quite a bit there, Michael, so let me begin with the first part of what you said. I mean, the DNC would not have the ability to leak this draft opinion. The DNC has no access to the Supreme Court or their clerks. So this ha- I can't imagine this would have been leaked by one of the justices. So the question is, who else then had access to it? Their court clerks. Their clerks helped write the opinion. So if it's um, – and it makes more sense if it's a progressive or left-wing court clerk because this bolsters opposition to this decision at this point. I don't think anybody was seeing this decision coming in June. Even people that are pro-life had told me privately they didn't think the court was going to undo Roe versus Wade. Uh, so as far as what you – so I don't think – I do think it was orchestrated towards a specific end 
and a specific p- policy goal. But I don't think it was done by the, the DNC. I think it was done by a court clerk. That would be that would be my bet. 800-848-WABC. David is in the Bronx. Hello, David. Hey, uh, good morning. Morning. I have a different theory about who leaked this because, to me, the only people that benefit from this are the Republicans. And I'll explain to you why if you're interested. Sure. People, American people, unfortunately, have very short memories. It is much better for politically active Republicans, including some on the court, to have this come out now as opposed to late June, early July, when it would likely have happened, because people are upset now. Mm. Other things will happen between now and Election Day that will distract people from this. This will be an afterthought by November. I believe, unlike Dershowitz, who I never agree with anymore, that it was a right-leaning clerk that did it, maybe with the blessing of Justice Alito or some other right-leaning member of the court. Well, that's interesting. So what you're saying, uh, David, and I don't know that I uh, necessarily agree, but I think it's a pretty interesting theory. Um, If this decision – now, now because everybody's making a big to-do about this – the first week in May, if it comes out a month and a half from now, now it's like everyone's yawning. It's yesterday's news, and it's not likely to motivate a strong anti-Republican turnout at that point. You're saying you, people will have gotten it over it by then because there's a lot of other things going on in the country. Right, exactly. And then the second part of it is, you know, just like Dershowitz and, and you to some extent and Laura Ingram and these other people – they're all pointing the finger at the left. So people are going to be upset with the left. Oh, the left are leakers. Da, 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 da. You know the routine. Well, so I, I don't think I don't think most rank and file voters will care who leaked it. I mean, I, I honestly I think the, I mean, if you're talking about restricting abortion rights potentially in half the country, I think that's what people are going to be concerned about rather than, oh, my goodness, a whistleblower helped leak this. In fact, I think a lot of people, maybe even close to half the country, would view the whistleblower here or the leaker, however you want to view it. As somebody that's uh, kind of a heroic figure, because it allows them to muster opposition, it allows uh, policymakers. You know, right now, if you look at what's happening outside the Supreme Court right now, there are protesters out there. So I I don't know that this will go away that easily. I think you're going to see a lot of abortion rights groups um, really be able to ramp up their fundraising and organizing efforts. But we'll see where we are a month from now. You may prove to be right. I can't imagine that we're never going to figure out who the leaker was. I would imagine by hook or by crook, th- either Chief Justice Roberts will demand the, the scalp of uh, the person that did this, or if, if this person is portrayed as somewhat heroic, they'll come forward and, and claim credit, even if that means being disbarred or uh, losing their job or, or worse. But it's an interesting theory, David. I guess we'll see a month or two from now um, if your theory is correct. That is, uh, it is interesting. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. LQ is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, LQ. Uh, good morning and uh, God's mercy on all. Um, the leaker, if there is a leaker, uh, it, to me, is in, in, it would be in favor of uh, the status quo as it, and keeping it as it is. Right. Uh, it, 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 uh, as uh, the masses of uh, protests is going to come and already st- have start, already started, as Dominic, Dominic Carter, as you just stated. 
uh, I just believe with, uh, uh, the state should, decide, should decide and millions of people uh, with their biblical faith uh, believe that uh, it's over politics, family second and politics third. Well, I, I understand that, LQ. And um, look, I'm glad people take and thanks for the call. Glad people take religion seriously. But we do live in a country where there's meant to be a separation of church and state. And you you don't generally look to the Bible as a book that we get laws from, let alone a book where we get Supreme Court decisions from. So I, I don't know that a court it should be basing any rulings upon what the Bible says. Now, if you make the decision not to get an abortion because of what the Bible says, I think that's great. But is that really a a way that courts should be making decisions? I don't think so. Uh, 800-848-WABC. And I know this is a very heavy topic, and we're going to get into some lighter stuff throughout the course of the morning. But it was such a, a big piece of breaking news this evening. I don't see how we avoid talking about it and giving you an opportunity to comment on it. 800-848-9222. Tom is in Bergen Beach. Hello, Tom. Good morning, Frank. Uh, just to let you know, there is a, uh, there is a slight delay when, when between the callers on the phone. I know you got mad at that guy before. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Yeah, we have been yeah. having some phone problems. So I will, I will withdraw my righteous indignation uh, complaining at that guy. So very, very well. Thank you for letting me know. I, I think that you should be, you have every right to be righteous and indignant to that. But I, on the, the other point is I do uh, think that the uh, – it would be hard to think about revisiting this Roe v. Wade thing and, uh, and it, without causing a riot. And um, I am concerned over the leak, though. It, it, it happened at a, at a lower court. I wouldn't be as concerned as, as – but as, although it happened at this court, you know, it just seems to me that – hold on. Um, something this big, you know, most cases are like that in the Supreme Court. They're big. I would think that the moral security would be better at this level. And I don't think that this rises to the bar of a whistleblower more. This is more political or like righteousness. Yeah, well, this is unprecedented. That's true, Tom. We've never seen anything like this in the modern era. Yeah, that's true. Thank you, Tom. You you know what I will say? Um, You know, again, it is a shame that the Supreme Court justices on both sides of the aisle and i hate i know they're supposed to be judges not politicians so i hate to frame it that way but in fact they are politicians i hate to say that but um i i recognize that the supreme court has this staid reputation of being regal and of being above the fray unfortunately i think that has led to some poor policy decisions about how the Supreme Court itself should be run. Now, maybe the silver lining out of this leak situation, as embarrassing it is as it is for the court, maybe the silver lining is now that the halo of the Supreme Court has been either removed or dented, and we can look at these people as as nine people rather than divinities descended from Mount Olympus. Maybe we can do a few things that I've really I've called for over the years. Number one, every Supreme Court hearing, every Supreme Court reading of an opinion should be televised. There's no reason that we and so should every federal court proceeding, by the way, in my view, 
there's no reason that we, the public, we, the taxpayers who are paying for that courtroom shouldn't get to see what goes on. But they're like, oh, no, 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 you can't, can't do that. Well, you can't tell the Supreme Court what to do. Well, yes, we can. Yes, we can. And they work for us, not the other way around. They may think it's the other way around, but tough. They work for us. Let's get cameras in that courtroom. And then once again, I will reiterate my call for doing away with life tenure for these justices. I think they should have a 15-year fixed term. Let them get paid for life so that they don't have to worry about being homeless for uh, making a controversial decision. Trust me, none of them are going to be homeless. And then after their 15-year fixed term is over, let them hop the circuit like uh, like Justice O'Connor did after she retired from the court. Let them go and, and be a guest judge here and a guest judge there. Uh, that has been done by a lot of former Supreme Court justices. I, I think it's nuts that the justices that were put on the court by President Trump, President Biden, they're going to be influencing public policy for 50 years. Or more. It's crazy. You know, the the rules of society should belong to the people that live in society today, not the folks that lived in society a half century ago, in my opinion. 800-848-WABC. Jack is in Queens. Hello, Jack. Hey, Frank. I got to tell you the best. Thanks. I enjoy listening to you. Thank you. You know. I'm not sure where this is coming from, but it, it is so it's such a, a bummer, for lack of a better term. It's taking away from the focus of higher gas prices, higher food prices. I went to Target. I can't believe how much I'm paying out of my pocket. Now we're going to forget about this, and now we're going to focus on this. I mean, geez, does it never end? Uh, I don't know where it came from, but... Nothing is on our side at this point. I mean, do you have any positive thing to say to me that I can feel better about? <laughs> because it's painful. Well, I mean, look, I I, I mean, I, I guess maybe you agree with the decision and maybe you think, you know, the positive of this that I find is that the this should be um, the decision about abortion restrictions shouldn't be made from, um, you know, a bunch of judges. It should be made by democratically elected officials. So if New York wants to elect people that are pro, uh, pro-choice, pro then they should do that. If Texas wants to elect people that are pro-life, then they should do that. And, you know, this gives an enormous amount of power in some respects back to the voters. Now they can elect people to implement the kind of abortion restrictions that they believe are appropriate for their state and for their community. And I concur with you wholeheartedly. That is not my issue. My issue is it's taking away from the focus. No, you're right. Well, you're right. Well, that's that's for adult president. You're right. You're right. And um, that is precisely why I think and as Dershowitz agreed with me that this is going to have some electoral blowback on the Republicans. Now, David in the Bronx disagreed. He thought that um, it's basically like you remember when Mike Bloomberg was mayor? Mike Bloomberg, in his first year in office, was so unpopular, he cut spending and did away with trash collection in certain neighborhoods, laid off some people, then raised property taxes higher than any mayor in the history of New York, 18.5%. People were ready to run him out of town on a rail. 
But what did he do? He was smart in that he did it at the beginning of his term. So folks had three and a half years to get over it, to David's point. And by 2005, he won re-election by one of the widest margins of any Republican mayor in history. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, a week is a lifetime in politics. 800-848-WABC. Joe is in Queens. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. I look at it this way. You know, we're assuming. Okay, now, for example, in China, uh, the weaker says reports that they're being harvested for their organs and doctors are transplanting the organs without anesthesia right in the operating room to the receiving patient, often which is people flying in from places like the U.S. And, of course, some of these people are dead because you're removing vital organs. That's where I put these doctors, so-called doctors, that are performing abortions. So uh, it, it's it's just uh, disgusting that someone would go to medical school where it's hard to get in and, the, you know, you have to have a B-plus to A average and end up doing this. You know, and it's just the, you know, speaks to the depravity of the society. All right. Well, I mean, that's your opinion. And I think you should be free to express that at the ballot box and not have those restrictions handed down by a court somewhere. Mm -hmm. That's your opinion. Other people may uh, disagree. And I think that's where we should argue these points out in the public square and elect people that reflect our values on this question. So um, interestingly enough. There's another story that was very big that has been sort of pushed out by this. Lawmakers in Washington, members of the Senate Intelligence Committee, members of the Senate Armed Services Committee, they are receiving this week the latest secret briefings on UFOs. And according to these same lawmakers, they say that these latest briefings that they say that the national security agencies still are not taking seriously the reports of highly advanced aircraft violating protected airspace. So you had members of the Intelligence Committee, members of the Armed Services Committee, receiving these classified progress reports uh, this week and in the last couple of weeks on a series of new data collection efforts that the Pentagon and the spy agencies are now required to pursue to more rigorously investigate reports of UFOs. Now, though, this is, again, another Politico story. Three people, three separate sources told Politico that. But some leading sponsors of recent legislation want more analysts and surveillance systems dedicated to determining the aircraft's origin and not just more reports of their existence. And one of those lawmakers is New York's junior senator, Kirsten Gillibrand. And I've, I've tried to get her on to talk about this. I don't know why she's been ducking me. And I said I would pre-tape her anytime she wants. Um, she doesn't have to stay up till one o'clock in the morning. Be happy to have her. But she's a member of both committees, both the Armed Services Committee and the Intelligence Committee. And she's called the UAP phenomenon. That's what they call UFOs now. They, she's called the UAP phenomenon an urgent issue. That's her quote, not mine. And for the first time, is publicly expressing her dissatisfaction at the response. Senator 
This is a quote in the Politico article. Senator Gillibrand believes that the Department of Defense needs to take this issue much more seriously and get in motion. This is according to one of her aides who spoke on the condition of anonymity in order to discuss these private conversations. They have ample they have had ample time to implement these important provisions, and they need to show us that they're prepared to address this issue in the long term. So these congressional briefings come four months after Congress passed the National Defense Authorization Act requiring the Pentagon to create the Anomaly Surveillance and Resolution Office, basically a new means of how UAPs are monitored. So this office, which is supposed to be fully operational by next month, was granted the authority to pursue any resource, any capability, asset, or process to investigate unidentified aerial phenomena. The Pentagon is supposed to be developing an intelligence collection and analysis plan to gain as much knowledge as possible regarding this stuff. And yet, seems like they may not be doing that. Seems like the Pentagon is dragging their heels. Why do you think that is? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. So to respond to Congress's direction... The Deputy Defense Secretary directed the creation of this Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group to oversee the stepped-up effort and establish the permanent UFO office that Congress is now requiring. And among its tasks is to standardize UAP incident reporting across the military and collect and analyze more intelligence. This is a quote from... Susan Guff, a department spokesman, the department continues to brief Congress on our efforts regarding unidentified aerial phenomenon, including our progress in standing up the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group in accordance with the National Defense Authorization Act. I cannot comment on specific engagements, but... And this is, to me, the most interesting part of the article. Some members of Congress and their staff, they are now beginning to publicly air their dissatisfaction with the the Pentagon's progress in making this happen. And this is not just a Democrat thing. This is bipartisan. Florida Senator Marco Rubio, the top Republican on the intelligence panel, he apparently also believes that the Pentagon is not aggressively carrying out Congress's direction. Rubio is definitely frustrated, said one of his aides. They're not moving fast enough, not doing enough, not sharing enough. The administration is is aware of the concerns. It is not at the level that it needs to be. Congressman Tim Burkett. I don't trust the Department of Defense, Republican, by the way, from Tennessee. He's been a guest on the Cats at Night show. Quote, I don't trust the Department of Defense to get this right since leadership there has always been part of a cover-up. I really think he's speaking for a lot of people. A lot of people think that the reason the Department of Defense is dragging their heels on this is because they know more than they do. Because, as the congressman says... They have been part of a cover-up by the likes of things. Now, why? Why? 
Why do you think the Pentagon is dragging their heels? Call and tell me. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. This is pretty interesting. And it's it's a story that's very big and should be even bigger, but I'm I'm concerned that it has gotten overshadowed by this news of this abortion decision. Uh, 800-848-9222. What is the Pentagon hiding and why? This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. 77 WABC. The Great Donovan, Sunshine Superman, nothing better than that. Hey, uh, very excited. Tonight, I am going to be at the home opener of the Staten Island Ferry Hawks. Very much looking forward to that. Uh, This is the new independent league team out on Staten Island, and um, it's the majority owner of that team is... John Katsimatidis, who also happens to be the owner of our radio station. So I'm going to be out there. I think most of the 77 WABC personalities are going to be out there. So if you're out there for the game, you'd still get tickets, I think, at ferryhawks.com. It should be a lot of fun. And if you're out there for the game, then I hope that you will uh, come over and say hello. And uh, I am going to be out there with my Ferry Hawks cap, and uh, I think my I think I'm, I have a Ferry Hawks shirt that is uh, that has my name on it uh, that I am looking forward to wearing, and it's really a wonderful thing that John did by saving baseball in Staten Island because when the Staten Island Yankees folded, um, it was a real kick in the stomach to the people of of Staten Island, number one, but people who like alternatives to Major League Baseball in the New York area. So I think it's a great thing. I'm looking forward to being there. Uh, I think, uh, you know, the the interesting thing is I have a dentist appointment at 4 o'clock. So I asked Dominic, because Dominic's going out there, I asked Dominic, when are you going out there? And he said, well, I'm going to go out there at, at 
probably 4 p.m. So I have a dentist appointment at 4 o'clock. should probably be about 45 minutes. So I think the earliest that I would probably be able to get that out there is probably 5.45 or so. So I might miss a portion of the Cats, Cats at Night show, which I think is going to be two hours tonight in order to focus on a lot of baseball coverage. But um, I'll still be there in time for the game and whatever pregame pomp and circumstance are there as well. So I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, an exciting time to be a baseball fan and to be a Staten Islander. All right. 800-848-9222. Robert is in Manhattan. Hello, Robert. Hello. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Um, I'm fine. Listen, you asked um, a moment ago um, why you think that the Pentagon would hide the, all the information that they have on UFOs from the public. And I believe it stems from a radio broadcast by Orson Welles, War of the Worlds, where people who didn't tune in at the beginning to realize it was just a radio a drama um, and he described Martian spaceships coming down and destroying um, all sorts of houses and buildings and people in New Jersey because of widespread panic. Uh, people went nuts. They were speeding away in cars. There were traffic jams, people trying to escape, and it caused a widespread panic. And I believe that if they released all the information that they had, um, they were afraid it might cause a panic. Well, um, you might be right, Robert. You might be right. But uh, unfortunately, or fortunately or unfortunately, the law says they have to provide Congress with this material. So, I mean, you'd hate to think that we're living in an era where the deep state not only continues to act as this government within a government, but where they're ignoring the expressed, clearly stated will of Congress. Signed by the president. So we'll see. You might be right. You might be right. All right. Um, coming up next hour, we're going to go through your mail. If you want to get your email read on the air, you can email me at frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. And um, a little bit later, we're going to talk with Joey Reynolds, legend of late night radio, and Dr. Keith Abloh about Mental Health Awareness Month. Until then, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thank you for listening to me. You know, it's funny. I was listening to the uh, Cats at Night show last night at 5 p.m., as I do just about every night. And uh, they had a very interesting panel on. Not only was John here, but uh, Lydia Serrani was on. By the way, if you're Lydia Holick, you can hear her filling in at noon every day this week. And uh, Lydia Serrano was on, uh, Ed Cox was there, Curtis Sliwa was there, I think Judge um, 
you know, Judge Richard, um, uh, Judge Richard Weinberg was there. And uh, thank you, Philippe. Judge Weinberg's name uh, escaped me for a moment. But uh, there's a lot of people to remember. I think I did pretty well remembering everybody <laughs> except Judge Weinberg's last name. And they were talking to Bill O'Reilly. And I think it was Lydia. You'll hear in a second. Lydia brought up their experience seeing Mayor de Blasio at the Inner Circle dinner on Saturday. The Inner Circle, you probably have heard Curtis talk about it and uh, Dominic. Dominic actually used to perform every year in it. He was quite good. But uh, this, this is a big event where the journalists of New York City work very hard to put on a really first-class production satirizing the news and a lot of the people in the news. So um, they were talking about encountering Bill de Blasio at the Inner Circle Dinner. And listen to what everyone said. And then I want you to be prepared to answer a question based on what these guys are saying. Listen to this. This is the WABC clip of the day. It's from yesterday's edition of the Cats at Night show. Well, Bill, we were at the Inner Circle Dinner on Saturday night. And uh, Bill de Blasio, uh, he ran over. And insisted on taking a picture of me. Yeah. I hope you charged him for it, John. <laughs> he was so happy. He was walking around with this huge smile on his face. Well, you'd be happy, too, if you're not going to pay your debts, right? It was like he was completely oblivious to the fact that he ruined our great city. And he doesn't I, see it that way. They no, never see it no, that way, ever. Right. Um, it's He was noble. He was virtuous. Yes. He I, helped. I, I will tell you, I always liked the guy as a person. He did make a lot of mistakes, a lot. But you, did you see how Curtis Sliwa, he was also at the inner circle? Did you? He uh, wanted a picture with you, Curtis. Yeah, I ran. Bill O'Reilly, I ran away from him. That, that would haunt me to the day that I would die. You know, I, I don't think I'd take a picture with de Blasio. I'm serious now. I, and I take pictures with, with almost everybody who's polite and respectful and wants one. But I wouldn't really, you know, I think the guy was so destructive, so selfish, um, so deceitful um, that I just uh, don't have any respect for him. And I would never take a picture with somebody I don't have any respect for. So here is the here is the question. Um, Bill O'Reilly, I've seen him take pictures with everybody. He does take pictures with everybody. O'Reilly and Curtis both said that de Blasio was so terrible they would never take a picture with him. And it got me thinking, I don't think de Blasio was a good mayor either, and I certainly never voted for him and would never vote for him for anything. And it got me thinking, would I take a picture with de Blasio if he wanted one? I don't know why he'd want a picture with me, but whatever. Let's say he's a late-night radio fan now that he has nothing to do. And the answer that I came up with was yes, was yes. And so I wondered how you would feel, and maybe you're a de Blasio fan, but let's say a mayor that you don't like, whoever it is, maybe it's Giuliani, maybe it's Bloomberg, maybe it's de Blasio, maybe it's Eric Adams, whomever. Let's say a mayor you don't like wanted to take a photo with you. Would you take one? And why or why not? 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Now, my answer would be, first of all, I've met de Blasio many times. And as much of a disaster as he is as a politician and a mayor and a leader, 
he is as nice of a guy in person. He's very personable, very kind. He can be very funny, uh, uh, and he's a very personable guy. So I don't know why you'd want to be um, so rude as to publicly snub him. Additionally, let's say that wasn't true, though. Let's say, and by the way, I think before he was mayor anyway, there were a few instances where Curtis did take pictures with de Blasio. And again, albeit that was before he was mayor. But um, it is interesting to me that the panel, with the exception of John, I guess, who took a photo with him, does did seem to be in pretty good agreement. The reason, the other reason I would take a photo with a mayor or a governor that um, I might not like or agree with is because I think their office, or in the case of de Blasio, their former office, entitles them to some respect. And it's kind of a neat thing to be able to take a photo with the man that was elected by, you know, the overwhelming majority of New York City residents. There's only four people living, right? Adams, de Blasio, Bloomberg, Julian. Yeah, there's only four people living that can say they've been mayor of New York City. So it's kind of a neat thing to be able to take a picture. Would you take one? I would. 800-848-WABC. Lydia said in, as part of that conversation that usually when someone comes over, you stand up to be respectful. She sat down the whole time. She wouldn't stand up. I don't think that's appropriate either. I think you should stand up when anybody comes over to your table, but especially somebody that was the former mayor and especially someone that's coming in um, in, a, in a gesture of friendship. Right. I think so. Um, give me your thoughts on that. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. John is in New Jersey. Hello, John. All right, Frank. You mentioned the uh, Staten Island team. Yes. <clears throat> um, let me ask you a question. Why is it a kick in the ass to Staten Islanders that the old one folded? I mean, nobody went to the games. Well, I mean, no, that's not true. Thousands of people did go. There weren't the number of people that they had hoped, but um, it was. Uh, so why is it a kick? I mean, if it, if the, if the Staten Islanders can't af- won't support it, it's not a kick in the, in the you know it, it isn't. It, it, if they don't have enough people going to the games. Then they don't have enough people going to the game. Yeah, I know, but there's a lot of again. there's a lot of jobs. Going to make it? Well, let's this see. Is gonna, this Let, is not going to make it. Well, let's see. Let's see. Let's. Uh, Why I'm, would this one make it when the other one didn't? Well, because there's a better management team now, and but no one's going to the games. Well, What's the difference? Today's the first game. How do you know no one's going? They will for a while, and then it'll just be like the other one. After a year or so, it'll fold again. All right. Well, we'll see, John. It's boring. It's boring. It's a boring sport. What sport do you like? I don't like any sports. All right. Well, then there's nothing. I don't like baseball. It's like watching paint dry. All right, John. I don't think you're the target demo for the team then. But uh, I will say that uh, even if you're like John and you're not necessarily into baseball, there's going to be a whole bunch of entertainment there as well to appeal to non-baseball fans. There's going to be concerts. There's going to be all sorts of interesting um, things. I'm not. I don't know what I'm allowed to say based on what I've heard from both John. And Gary Perone, who's the uh, general manager of this team. But there's a lot of things planned that have nothing to do with sports beyond entertainment. 800-848-WABC, if you want to comment, that's 1-800-848-9222. I am curious how you 
would respond to my hypothetical question. Let's say a mayor that you didn't like wanted a photo with you. What would you do? Would you take one? Would you not take one? Three open lines if you want to comment. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Rob is in Woodside. Hello, Rob. Yeah, how you doing, Frank? Uh, I'm a construction worker. I'm heading home right now from Woodside. You know, there's an old saying in the Irish neighborhood. You're you're a quizzling. (laughs) You got to look that up because I don't agree with what you're doing, pal. Well, is there anything specific that uh mine? <laughs> well, I never voted you know, for him, Rob. I just think you know, that you know, there's an old thing like I said in the last time in the Godfall, you know, you surprised me, Tom. All right. Well, you know, you just, come on, give me a break. That guy's a loser. All right. Of, so, all, of all areas. I want to get a picture with him, what do you want to show who? Hey, maybe Shirlane. Maybe I can impress Shirlane. Let me say hello to Charlie in Hell's Kitchen. Hello, Charlie. 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 Charlie going once. Charlie going twice. 800-848-9222. Tuna is in Queens. Hello, Tuna. Hey, Frank. You're Italian, right? I'm American. I don't want to. Oh, well, I don't want to start speaking Italian when we talk about the Blasio. I might say something you hang up on me. But now you got to understand, Bill O'Reilly, he's a certain kind of guy. He's he's like an elder. He's an old school dude, and he didn't come from money or anything. You know, came from Levittown. He's a very intelligent man. He was a school teacher, educated himself. You know, his kind of and, and Curtis, Kurt, Curtis, 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 old school, and Curtis, I shook Curtis's hand. Curtis is in great shape. He always complains about his back. Uh, you know, I, I'm in pretty good shape. I'm 53. I want to go near him. I want to mess with Curtis. Oh, no, he's tough. Let he's me tough. tell you. No, hell no. He's buff. Hell yeah. I got mad respect for both of these gentlemen. Now, you look at this guy, de Blasio, and what he did, and the way he went about it, and the, the way he said things at his speeches and nothing was a big deal, and defund the police, that's a slap in the face to somebody like Curtis who put his life protecting the streets, basically. And and Bill O'Reilly, on the other hand, yeah, he's not the guy in the street, but he is. He's street smart. It, it, Bill, I, Bill would have no reason to go and get a picture with somebody like that. I just, I can't, just because I'm looking for the word, uh, it's not the same caliber. The, I don't know how de Blasio got in office. I think because, you know, he had a biracial marriage, uh, son was black and people said oh his son and nothing against that but i think that helped them a big 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 deal to get elected and what did he do to us we're in turmoil your grandmother can't go to the store uh you know the guy got shot clipped two nights ago right near my house i'm not saying it's the Blasio's fault but a lot of this crime and guns on the street are you know criminals are criminals it's not like oh there's nothing to do let's go rob something a criminal is 24-7 a criminal. Now, when you have sharks in the water and you don't have anybody to fend for the swimmers, uh, no one's going to want to go in the water, right? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, look, Tuna, I have no interest in defending de Blasio's legacy. Uh, I contributed to all of his opponents. I voted for all of his opponents. I, I just think uh, there are sometimes when, you know, you can be polite 
even if you don't agree with someone's politics and think they were were ineffective at their job. That's all I was saying, and I was curious if ever if people felt differently. It's like when Giuliani threw what's his face out of the uh, the, the Met. Remember to, who was that? Yeah, I, are you talking about Gaddafi yeah. or Castro? Yeah, yeah. And, or, no, it was um, it was Yasser Arafat, I think. That That's was the guy. Yeah, yeah they're all this, yeah. You know, it's kind of like the same thing in a way. It's respect. They don't respect him because of what he did, and that that's just how they are. They're stand-up guys, and they're genuine, very genuine. Well, De Blasio, he's the father from genuine in the world. So fair enough, Tuna. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. So far, I'm alone on this one. What about you, Philippe? If you were if you were met a mayor that you didn't like their politics and they wanted to take a photo with you. Would you would you want to take a photo with them or would you run away? Philippe? Yeah, I guess you're not listening. All right. You guess you weren't listening to anything I just said. I didn't mean to throw you here, Philippe. Not exactly a, a trick question. Never mind. Never mind. We're we're moving on. We're moving on. It's okay. Ned is in Stamford. Hello, Ned. Hey, what's going on? You tell me, Ned. Okay. You remember Peter Pan? Yes. Okay. They they should call it Stamford Canties. <laughs> okay. Well, I think the name's already been selected, Ned. No, but I'm saying, come on. Peter Pan. Peter Pan. I like it. I like it. I'm a Peter Pan fan. Uh, never wanted to grow up myself, that's for sure. Um, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC if you want to comment on a- anything we're, we're talking about. Joey Reynolds uh, joining me next hour. Dr. Keith Ablo joining me in the 4 o'clock hour to talk about Mental Health Awareness Month. Very sad of uh, the news that... Um, that came uh, out about uh, Naomi Judd killing herself. I mean, you think of somebody that uh, has everything in the world to live for. Great, uh, great talent, great family. I'm sure she had money. And those are not usually the people that you think about as suffering from depression. And I think that uh, there are some people that are suffering silently. And a lot of folks have been wondering about, what folks can do about it, not only for themselves, but for a loved one. And so that's uh, a bit of what we'll talk with Keith Ablo about. I'm on Twitter as well, at uh, Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Billy is in Queens. Hello, Billy. Frank, I met de Blasio at City Hall in 2014. He came running across the pavement to greet me. It was the warmest, nicest greeting I ever got in my life. The guy was there telling me how sharp I look at me, two thumbs up. I mean, smiling. I And he was... I already knew he was destroying the city back then, but you know he's he's the mayor of New York City. What, what would you do? Exactly. You know, I met, that's that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. I met David Dinkins. Uh, he was a nice guy. He's he's a former Marine. You know, I met him after years after he retired. Again, he I remember what he did to the city, but he was a very nice man. And actually, Bloomberg. Bloomberg would never, his people told me he would never say hi to you or anybody. Yeah, yeah, Bloomberg was I, I a bit more Bloomberg patrician. Was, well, he was a prick, but he was a great man. Yeah, I don't uh, think you could say that. Not, you can't say that on air, guy, Billy. But thank you. 800-848-WABC. Artie is in Hartford. Hello, Artie. Hey, don't vote for Mike Stefanowski. 
All right. I won't. Thank you, Artie. All right. Um, we'll take a quick break. We'll continue with your calls in a minute. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. This is Ed Sharp in the Magnetic Zeros. You know, I don't know if you consider them a rock band, maybe a folk rock band, but they're still around. Uh, They're one of my favorite um, bands of whatever genre this is. Uh, I think they do a great job. If you're ever curious about the music that we're playing on this show, either the name of the song or the artist, you can always um, join our Facebook group where I will uh, post each and every morning after the show exactly what bumper music that we're playing. All you have to do is go on Facebook and and just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. Chris is in Mount Vernon. Hello, Chris. Hey, Frank. How's it going? Uh, yeah, me, me personally, would I, with Bill, Bill de Blasio, would I shake his hand? Sure, I don't care. Nobody knows who I am. But... I think that when you're a public figure, like you, for instance, if everybody sees a picture of you shaking Bill de Blasio's hand, they're going to say, well, Frank must agree with his politics. And that's, you know, to me, that's what people think. And maybe that's what's trying to be avoided by, uh, you know, staying away and not wanting to take pictures. Yeah, you I, know how people are. No, I agree with you. And I think that's the shame of this whole thing, because... I think we're now in a place in America where there is no more loyal opposition. Now, when uh, Ellen DeGeneres tweeted a photo of her and George W. Bush at a football game or something a year or two ago, um, that they, they, she got pilloried for taking a photo with George Bush. Now, she wasn't endorsing his policies at all. And I thought, what a shame that we're now in a place where you can't even take a photo with someone that you don't agree with without being considered an apostate. I I think uh, you're right. You're exactly right. But I think, um, I I don't know, that's what I'd like to get away from. But I hear what you're saying. I agree 100%. I would love to get away with that. I mean, even if you get caught, even if they say, oh, Frank ate in the same restaurant that Bill de Blasio ate at, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Like like when, when John Castamatidis was, was uh, eating with uh, Eric Adams, it's like, what's going on? What's going on here? Like, why is John eating with Eric Adams? Because he- 
he does he agree with her, everything that Eric Adams says? And you know what I mean? It's like it's the society's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right, Chris. Society is. As Bob would say if he were still here, it's really sick and getting sicker. 800-848-9222. Russell is in Queens. Hello, Russell. Yeah, hi. Uh, I don't know why uh, Bill de Blasio would want to take a picture with me. I'm just an overfed, long-haired, leaping gnome. But if he did, I'd take the picture and I'd throw the horns behind his head. Because I, I want to know where the billion-dollar mental health initiative went. Yeah, hey, right. that's a good question for the city council, which could certainly be doing a lot more in terms of oversight, in terms of uh, finding what became of the Thrive NYC program in general, and the um, you know the 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 money spent on it specifically. All right, uh, we're going to go through your mail in just a second. Well, if you want to get in a piece of mail for me to read, let me cue it up here. I forgot to bring my letter opener. But if you want to, uh, you know, get try and get a piece of mail in, you can do so by just emailing me at uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com as it is time for... So normally what we've done is I, I used to allow Molly to pick out the best pieces of mail from the snail mail. And this time I just picked out five at random. So we'll see if they're any better at worst. And we'll alternate that with the email. We'll start with a piece of snail mail and then we'll go to the email. The This piece of mail comes to us from the Ulster Correctional Facility, a prison here in New York State. From a prisoner named Robert Giuliano. I actually wrote a um, a note to the parole board for Robert Giuliano asking him to be let out of prison. And it looks like he is going to be let out of prison. Let's see. I got a piece of yellow paper here. Words cannot describe how I am feeling. I am now 98 days from being released. I am beyond excited and amped up. I plan to utilize this opportunity in making wise and strategic decisions that will substantially lead to my ultimate success. Thank you so much for your outstanding letter. You played a major role, and you're very instrumental in making this happen. I will be forever grateful. You've really exceeded my expectations, and I plan to exceed yours. Uh, I plan, I'm scheduled to be released, uh, and he gives the date. I don't need to give that. As a token of my appreciation, I would like to treat you to a nice lunch the week of my release. Yeah. Um, and then he oh, he offered to take me to a very nice restaurant. I'm not going to say which one. Um, please be kind enough. And he struck, gives me emails on how to uh, reach him. I look forward to meeting you in person. I greatly appreciate all you've done for me. You've demonstrated respect, care, and concern every step of the way. Talk to you soon. Sincerely. Robert Giuliano. That's very nice. See, that's nice. You do something nice for somebody, it's nice that they send a thank you note uh, to show you a token of their appreciation. I am a big thank you note person, but I will admit that I have 
fallen behind on the amount of thank you notes that I've been able to send out because of um, some restrictions on my time. Um, this is an email here from Lou. Lou writes, Frank, she just came in at 1 a.m. right after I was on with Dominic Carter. Frank, you must have read my mind. Why? Because just yesterday I was considering writing to suggest having Joey Reynolds as a guest. I was a regular listener to his program when he was on overnight, as well as when I followed Howard on NBC in the afternoon drive time slot. Lou, all right, well, so good. I'm glad he's excited. And I hope you, if you're a Joey Reynolds fan, you will stay tuned. Around 3.20, he'll be here. All right, this is from Henry in Manhattan with a lot of stuff written on the envelope itself. See, that's always worrying to me. When they can't fit everything they want to say within the letter, they have to put it on the envelope itself. Now, uh, this is a magazine article, a photo, a photocopy of a magazine article that says... I don't know what magazine it's from. Oh, Science. Science Magazine. This looks pretty interesting. I'm not going to read the whole article, but there's no note here. Uh, The the headline of this article is On the Trail of BS, except it's spelled out. Let's see. The enclosed magazine article is from um, August Magazine Science. has the iconoclastic title BS. It's about purposely circulated misinformation. Guests and or a topic for your show? Question mark. That might be interesting, actually. Maybe we'll take a look at it. All right. Uh, This is an email. Uh, This is from a gentleman named Brian. Uh, This is very sad, actually. He writes, sadly, Frank, sadly, my mom passed away, and we will be having the service this week. She was a nurse, an educator, and a hilarious, all-around fun person. She listened to you when she got up in, in the night And I just wanted to let you know, if your numbers are down by one, it might be Lorraine. I am gutted, even though she had quite a run. And then uh, he includes the obituary below. Her name was Lorraine Margaret Frances Malley Moran. And she was uh, a nurse, a graduate of uh, Kings County Hospital School of Nursing and Marymount College. And then she got a master's degree in nursing administration and education from Hunter College. Seems like she was an incredibly accomplished person and uh, married the love of her life, Eugene, back in 1954, had um, three sons, and listen to this, in night with three sons in tow, their family moved to Tehran, Iran, Tehran, Iran, I guess, to pursue opportunities with... Standard Oil, which is where her husband was working at the time. But um, she then continued. She moved back here. She moved uh, to some other places. And she was always a nurse. And uh, seems like she was a great lady. I'm sorry I never got to meet her in person, but I count myself lucky as having such a nice lady as a listener. So, Brian, I'm sorry about the passing of your mom. And I hope you and your family are doing okay. Um, never easy, never easy. I'm very fortunate to have all of my parents, but, uh, I know, I know many that aren't so, so lucky. All right. Now this is my kind of, this is my kind of letter. This is a letter that has a dollar bill in it. Look at this. And the dollar bill is labeled. Oh, it's a silver certificate. $1 in silver payable to the bearer on demand. 2022 to young Carmine banker from caller Irene in central New Jersey. And there's a note here 
says, hi, Frank, I'm sending you another silver certificate to the add to the first two I sent young Carmine in December. I found them going through my sister Val's things when she unexpectedly passed three years ago. Oh, no. Um, our father, who immigrated here with our, um, our mother and a baby Val in 1950 from Ukraine, bought them at a coin store in New York City in the 1950s. I know she would want your young Carmine to have them. Comments. Number one, I absolutely love Dr. Sky. Number two, thank you providing for providing all points of view on any and all worldwide topics. You are a son of truth, respecting all humanity and opposing all war and conflict like me. Number three, William Shatner is the best TV movie singer philosopher in the world. Besides his immense talent in all entertainment venues... He holds a very deep philosophical understanding, not only of the universe, but the universal human experiences of all people. He is a living participant of the quantum intertangle thing. I have seen every episode of T.J. Hooker with Heather Locklear, and his scene in the cigar smoke endings of Boston Legal are pure crescendos of human emotions and depth. I completely agree with everything she's written so far. His music shows as a showcase his intellectual depth and sobriety of subject matter that frames people who hear it or see it as a soul-searching exercise. His speech to Bezos after Blue Origin is absorbed into human history. Um, I, don't, I don't know that word. Number four, I listen to you on terrestrial radio every night, a Sony from the 1990s. I have no computer or smartphone but can use my sister's iPod to bring up WABC TV radio up and sometimes watch you in studio all night drinking your coffee. I'm actually off coffee now because I was told that it could contribute to acid reflux. Thank you for listening. Sincerely, Irene, caller from central New Jersey. P.S. Jersey girls don't pump gas, period. It's part of our New Jersey culture, period. I have no social media, so I send a photo of your listeners as we have a face. Thank you. What a nice note. And she sent a photo of herself and her sister Val. That's nice. I'm so sorry that she passed away. I, I can't I can't be losing any more listeners, folks. I need you folks to stay alive. Do whatever it takes. Um This email here is from uh doesn't say Oh Bunny. Hi Frank. The the topic is gerrymandering. This subject should be against the law. I had the best congressperson, Carolyn Maloney. I contacted her with two problems, one impossible. Soon after I received strong copies of letters written, she couldn't solve the impossible but did help with the other. Then gerrymandering and I lost her and gained Charles Rangel. He did not have a nice background and his office was worthless. In frustration, I sent a fax, followed up. They did not receive the fax. What did they do all day? Now gerrymandering again? It's going to be stopped. It's got to be stopped. I wish someone would get a petition started. Well, here's the problem, Bunny. New York is losing population, and they're not adding any more members to the House of Representatives. So these districts have to get bigger every 10 years. Every Each of the last three redistricting cycles, we've lost seats. So you're going to end up with more people represented by fewer members of Congress. So that's going to keep happening unless they enlarge the House of Representatives. Now, I think a case can be made for um, expanding 
the number of house of uh, you know house seats so that you get that personalized service but you know it is what it is all right this is an email this is uh, not an email this is a package here from ohio from hi to all the wabc gang the after midnight bunch especially hey molly pass this cool old book around the station my late father wanted to go to the 1929 world's fair so bad he was 10 years old, but he didn't make it. He made darn sure his kids went to the 1964 and 65 World's Fair. It was too cool, and out the and I got to see the early helicopter and Frank Bucks. Bring him back alive, Jungle Camp. That's from Jay. I believe that's Jay in Ohio. Oh, this is neat. Look at this. I have to show this to John Katsimatidis because last time we were talking about the World's Fair, he actually, um, he actually uh, called in. He's got an official guidebook to the New York World's Fair from, uh, I guess it's from 1929, I suppose, right? Or is it from, no, it's from 1964. And then he's got some nameplates in here. Oh, from Ohio nameplates. One for me, Frankie. One from Molly. I'll send this to her. And I guess one is for my, (laughs) this is very funny. He couldn't find one that says Carmine, so he got one that says Carmen. And then he wrote an I in there. That's very cute. Thank you, Jay. That's very funny. Uh, very kind. Uh, all right. This is an email from Michelle, who writes, yesterday, Tom, that was a gr- I mean, uh, that was a subject. Tom. Frank, that was a great interview with Tom Dreesen. By, but why wasn't it longer? It seemed like he had so many more stories to tell. Well, that's true. Tom Dreesen's got a bunch of stories, which is one of the reasons I suggested They have him on uh, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. I'll have him back. I mean, I've had him on before, and he's he's never run out of stories yet. We had him on for a half hour yesterday. And that's a long time to have on a guest. So I thought he was great, but, you know, you always got to leave him wanting more. And he'll be back soon. Don't worry. All right. This is uh, a package here. This is from Staten Island. See, maybe somebody I'll see at the Ferryhawks game tomorrow. Uh, okay. Big Whale, Big City. Oh, it's a children's book. Oh, it was sent to me by the author. Oh, look at this. Um, Paul Siswerda, Big Whale, Big City, illustrations by Joy Reidenberg. Um, oh, and it's signed, Fort Carmine. Huh. As one of your father's fans on the other side of midnight, I hope you'll enjoy this book as much as I enjoyed writing it. Since listening, I've been sleeping like a baby, (laughs) i.e. waking up every two hours crying. As you grow, I hope you could see the real-life Jerry swimming in the waters around New York City. Uh, That is so nice. That is so nice. And he dedicates the book to, this book is dedicated to the volunteers, past and present, who have made Gotham Whale into a widely recognized whale research organization in the New York City. That's very nice. Let's save that as well, so I can send him a note. And let's do one more email here. Um, Miguel writes of Andrew Cuomo. New York has to get over the disgrace. Former governor, he touched and sexually harassed these women, 10 plus, and he put through bail reform. He ruined the state. He should not be allowed to run for governor again. The only place he belongs in is jail for killing so many in nursing homes. 
He adds, um, AOC is a waste of time. How could she even be mentioned to run for president? I feel like we live in the twilight zone when I hear talk like that. Uh, Miguel in Flushing. I will assume that's an undecided on uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez running for uh, running for president. And uh, one more here. Dennis writes, uh, Hi, Frank. I just started listening to your show in December of 2020. I'm a retired school custodian, 74 years young now. The wife and I had just moved into a beautiful condo and had bought a big, bright, all-in-one computer. The week I tried to send you an email, I had cataract surgery. I'm in bed listening to the show. You had two convicted felons on. One was a lawyer and one was just someone who had taken a wrong turn. They were on promoting a book to help people get out of jail to get back on track. You offered, I think, the first three callers a free book. It was like 2 a.m., I get out of bed, sneak into the spare room, turn on the bright computer, and shoot off an email because of the surgery I couldn't see uh, and almost broke my neck getting back to bed. Here's the funniest part. The email came back as undeliverable. I didn't have the dot in there and ended up sending three more combinations that never got delivered. LOL, love the show, Frank. Well, I think the person you're probably talking about is Andrew McKenna, who wrote um, a book called, a wonderful book called uh, Sheer Madness great memoir about being a federal prosecutor and then being becoming a federal prisoner after becoming a drug addict and a bank robber. And so I will forward your email to Andrew McKenna Dennis and I wouldn't be surprised if he comes through uh, for with an email with a with a book for you. All right, Roxanne writes UFOMG is the subject. UFOMG, we're really doing this question mark Frank, it will be an exercise, like Majestic and Blue Book. Why don't they ask about Dulcie Base? Did Jimmy Carter really have it forcibly closed down? Navy SEALs, Green Beret, etc., etc. Start questioning the helio-nonsensical model. It's absurd and preposterous. Ask, where are they really from? Interesting question. All right. Um, I think that about... I think that's that's a good amount of letters to get through on this edition. So if you didn't get your letter answered this time around, hopefully it will get uh, meant get listened to or get read on the next edition of. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Done me wrong, baby. And you'll be sorry. 
The great William Shatner singing The Thrill is Gone. All right. Uh, If you want to comment on anything we've covered thus far, you can give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. We'll talk with Joey Reynolds coming up uh, next hour, a longtime staple of late-night radio in New York and other places, too. Uh, He's worked everywhere. And so I'm looking forward to talking with him. And then uh, I'll talk in the 4 o'clock hour with Dr. Keith Ablo. It is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we're going to talk about why uh, so many people are struggling with mental health these days and what can be done about it. But uh, first, let me say hello to Danny on Long Island. Hello, Danny. Hey, how you doing, Frank? Doing well, thanks. But I got a question. I'm still, you know, I, I heard I was listening to the uh, comments about you want to get in the picture with uh, the Blasio. Well, it's not that I'm going to go look for a picture. I certainly wouldn't pay for a picture. But if the guy, if what Curtis described happened to me, where he came over and wanted a picture, I wouldn't run out of there. I'd stand there and take the picture. I would. Tell, I, w- I wouldn't run out. I would tell him, "Are you out of your mind? You might as well get <laughs> with Ted Bundy." So why, don't, why don't you take the picture with Osama bin Laden? He's killed more people in New York City with his policies and his garbage, and he stole a billion dollars. Oh, yeah, I want to get a picture with this guy. Well, a couple of things, Danny, and thanks for the call. One, he didn't steal a billion dollars. He wasted a billion dollars. And you might think that's a distinction without a difference, but there's a big difference. In one case, you're putting money in your pocket. In the other case, you're squandering the money. If he actually did steal the billion dollars, uh, he then Preet Bharara, when he went, would have had no trouble indicting him when Preet wanted to indict Bill de Blasio very badly. That's number one. Number two, I don't really want to get into a position of defending Bill de Blasio's policies. I never voted for him, but I can tell you on a personal level, the guy is an incredibly um, nice guy and incredibly charming guy. He really is. Number three. It's very tempting because of the way that de Blasio left this city to act like there were no good parts of his mayoralty. That's not exactly true. I think you do have to give the guy credit for universal pre-K. I think you have to give the guy credit for appointing three very sane and sober police commissioners. And uh, with the first commissioner that he appointed, Bill Bratton, he went along with what Bill Bratton and others had advocated for, the hiring of 1,000 new police officers. Now, you compare that, de Blasio agreeing to hire 1,000 new police officers, which many in the city council didn't want to do, with the people that are in charge in city government now who are, you know, wanting to defund the police. But again, I don't want to make this a whole de Blasio versus the world argument. I, I make it anybody that you dislike. Maybe you dislike um, Rudy Giuliani or Clarence Thomas or whomever, whatever. Somebody that you who you don't agree with on the issues and you think has been detrimental in their position. My question was, would you still take a photo? My answer was, for me, I, and I completely get what everyone's saying. My answer for me was yes. I think there's a certain amount of of um, respect that the former mayor of New York City is entitled to. I'm sorry. I guess I'm in the minority. So far, I think only one person almost agreed with me. So that's that. 800-848-9222. John is in Rockaway. Hello, John. 
Hiya, Frank. Uh, nice show you have. Thanks. Yeah, uh, listen, Frank, uh, de Blasio, no matter how nice he is, he's the architect of the destruction of our city. He destroyed our city, and he had a lot of help. He had the voters of New York who voted for him twice. Now, I have more pride in myself. I wouldn't take a picture with the devil, let alone this guy. He's just like a devil. So... All right. That's well, the way I, feel I, about I, him. I get it. I mean, Th- oh, sorry. I didn't know you had another comment there. Thought that was it. Uh, hey, look, I guess we'll agree to disagree. I'm in the, clearly in the minority on this one. So be it. Now, I'm going to try and do something very risky. Um, and I know I should probably know better, but I'm going to try and talk to Philippe again. Philippe, if there was a mayor that you didn't like, and I have no idea what your politics are, but if there was a mayor that you didn't like, would you take a picture with them if they wanted to take a photo with you? I don't see why not. I, I'm totally okay with um, revoking my political opinion with the person. Like you said, I never, I, didn't, I never heard this stuff about De Blasio until the remarks today that he's a super kind guy. And I, if anything, you know, if I'm who am I to 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 even decline that offer anyway? If it was offered by him, you know, I'm I'm in no position to ever say no. Well, I know, but you're uh, you're WBC you're you're no better or worse than anybody else. That's true. In, yeah, you know, in, including Curtis. I've never see. I've never yeah, really we, got we, in. We um, all right. Well, thank you, Philippe. We'll let you go back to doing your thing. Doing a great job, by the way, actually. Um, but uh, Avery, there is the telephone talent coordinator for the day. He's doing a fairly good job as uh, as well. If you want to test him, you can uh, give him a call at 800-848-9222. Well, so be it. You know, whatever people feel strongly, God God bless, whatever works. Um, all right. Uh, by the way, I do want to encourage you to join the Facebook group. If you're on Facebook and you listen to the show, we have this Facebook group set up just for you where you can post your opinions about the show, the things we're doing about the show. You want to say, oh, I can't believe Frank is so crazy that he would ever take a photo with Bill de Blasio. I, um, whatever. Uh, you can go ahead and weigh in on uh, on that. Now, um, I will tell you, so we had Carmine's uh, christening on Saturday, or Sunday, rather, and it was a small, small party. We, we basically just invited... <laughs> family, and a couple of very close friends. Very, very tough guest list. I joked in my remarks to the people that came. I said, my wife, Rachel, was so uh, tough in terms of allowing people to attend this that for a while, both Carmine and I really didn't seem to make it. But, you know, that's what happens when you have a broad social network. So that was that. And then... um, a lot of people gave him gifts. A couple of people gave him, you know, uh, physical gifts, but most people gave him an envelope with with money. So here's what I was wondering. There were so I go through all these gifts today with with my wife who came, you know, who gave what so that we know who to send a thank you to. But there were two or three guests that didn't give a gift that we don't we don't have a gift listed for now one is my cousin one is my best friend growing up who I'm godfather to his daughter and i think that's about it just maybe just those two now i can't imagine that those two would not give at least a card or something so i'm wondering if the gift was misplaced now 
I, I don't we, we don't care about getting a gift because you know I mean the kid is only five months old. What does he care if he gets a gift or not? But if either my cousin or my friend Anthony didn't, you know, I mean, did give a gift, I would hate to see it get lost somewhere, maybe at the restaurant or in a car. So what would you do if you were me or you were us? Would you reach out to these folks and say, you know, by the way, uh, I, just, I was just wondering if you brought a card or something and I just want to make sure it wasn't misplaced. Or would you just let it go and not say anything? Because maybe it's rude. It looks like you're hunting for a gift, which is certainly not my intention. What would you do? Tell me. 800-848-WABC. That's uh, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Lucille writes on Twitter. This is awfully nice. Um, Mr. Moreno, you're such a logical, rational, respectful chap. Well, that goes to show I'll have no future in this business. You do set the example of what a decent American is. Well, that's awfully nice. Wow. Thank you. 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to John in Brooklyn. Hello, John. How you doing, Frank? I want to tell you a funny story about Mayor de Blasio and my pit bull. Uh, I live in Park Slope, so the mayor was uh, coming out of the YMCA after one of his workouts, and I'm walking up 9th Street with my uh, pit bull to the vet. So I'm on the corner, and uh, all of a sudden my pit bull turns around, and I hear a growl. So it's the mayor. He's on his phone, and I have my I'm a retired fireman uh, shirt. So he says, uh, hey, how you doing? And, you know, he says, uh, that's a nice dog you got. So I said, yeah, Mr. Mayor, you know, he's a rescue. So we started talking, and he says, oh, you're fine? And I said, I'm retired. I said, before that, I was a cop before that correction. So he says, oh, you did a good service to the city. So he goes out to shake my hand, and the pit bull growled at him and lunged at him. I said, Mr. Mayor, I can't uh, shake your hand. So I didn't want to shake his hand anyway. But uh, his uh, police protection detective behind me gave me a smirk and a wink like he had a dog was doing a good thing. <laughs> I, I That's mean, very yeah, I didn't funny. Want to shake his hand. I didn't want to shake his hand because, you know, I, I don't care for him. I live in the neighborhood. I know how he is. But, uh, you know, it's just a funny story. And, Frank, real fast, what was that gentleman's name last night for the book, The Comedian? Uh, Tom Dreesen. Tom Dreesen. D-R-E-E-S-E-N. Now, the book is called Still okay. Standing. Okay. Thank you very much. Listen, have a safe uh, tour of duty. I, I'll say to you, and uh, God bless you all the time. Uh, well, thanks very much. I appreciate you listening. Uh, give our best to your dog as well. Uh, <laughs> he passed away. Oh, passed away. I'm sorry. I hate, to, I hate to hear Seven that. months tomorrow, cancer. He oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, he passed away. And uh, he was the most loving pit bull we ever had. He was a rescue from uh, Rockaway. They locked him up in um, a hotel during the hurricane season when they relocated people. And uh, they left him there for two weeks, and they were going to put him to sleep. And I took him, and he was the best dog I ever had. Mm. Uh, that is yeah. uh, that's sad. I'm it's sorry to hear sad. that, John. It's sad. And congratulations on your baby and everything. Brother. Oh, thank okay? you. That's nice of you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Simon is calling from Brooklyn. Hello, Simon. Yeah, Frankie. How you doing? I'm a regular. Um, yeah, we're, we're talking about what's going on. People leaving the. New York City, the last uh, two three years, and I, I'm, I I remember the good old days. I used to walk on Wall Street, and 
you know, the, 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 the energy is gone. You know, it used to be the great energy, the wealth. It was, it was um, something which New York City never had. No one ever had it. I remember the good old days. You had the wealth, poor people, rich people, middle class. And afternoon, you couldn't even walk the streets. Guys were going to their lunch. You could even walk on the streets. It was bumper to bumper. I, I just hope one day we ever we get that back now because it's very depressing. Yeah, I, I, I I'm with you, Simon, and I think a big part of that is going to have to be employers making their employees come back to work uh, because a lot of businesses now here at our company, everybody comes into work, everybody comes into work every day, and I think you're going to have to have more private and sec- more private sector employees come to work and bring back the commuters to Manhattan before that level of energy and vivaciousness returns. But we'll see. You never know. Ray is on Long Island. Hello, Ray. Hey, Frank. How you doing, buddy? Hanging in there. Thanks. Hey, man. Congratulations what's going on. I was there, and you know what happened? I brought, like, a uh, toaster, and I grabbed a present going out, and I walked out with a waffle maker, so I'm happy. Congratulations, my man. Well, congratulations to you on the free waffle maker. I'll send you a couple of waffles. Wonderful, wonderful. I, I'm trying to do kind of a... Hey, you're a cool dude, man. Thank th- you. Thanks, Ray. Appreciate it. Uh, if you do want to send me a waffle, it is uh, P.O. Box 1776, uh, New York, New... Uh, let me... Just... So it's P.O. Box 1770, no, P.O. Box 1777, excuse me, uh, New York, New York. Send it to my attention, Frank Morano, New York, New York, 10163. And uh, I don't know how well waffles send in the mail, but, you know, give it a shot. Who knows? Maybe send me a picture of a waffle. Uh, all right. You want to comment on anything we've covered? You can give me a call, 800-848-9222. Uh, Joey Reynolds joins me in about 20 minutes uh, to chat about radio, late night radio, etc. We'll get into that. And Mental Health Awareness Month with Dr. Keith Ablo. Until next hour, keep asking questions. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. Side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. You know, I was talking to Tom Dreesen yesterday. Tom Dreesen is actually in one of my favorite films. 
It's a film, uh, it's, a, it's a spoof. It's called Spaceballs. It's a Mel Brooks film. It's wonderful. Rick Moranis is in it, and uh, Bill Pullman, John Candy, Joan Rivers. A wonderful cast and a very funny film. Basically, it's a spoof of all sorts of science fiction films, uh, most notably Star Wars, but also some Star Trek, some Planet of the Apes. There's some bunch of stuff in there. And um, <laughs> Tom Dreesen has a small part in that, and he's very funny. He's only in it briefly, but he's he's very funny. And there's one, <laughs> I don't want to give a spoiler away, but there's one scene where the guy who's an alien has an alien pop out of his stomach, and he sees the alien pop out of his stomach, and he says, as he sees the alien, he says, Oh, no, not again. That is the way that I have been feeling seeing some of the headlines here in New York. New York City is raising its COVID alert level as new cases surpass a key threshold. Manhattan and Staten Island are now classified as medium COVID alert counties by the CDC as highly contagious variants of Omicron continue to fuel a COVID uptick across much of America and the globe. New York City raised its COVID alert level to medium on Monday as cases surpassed a rate of 200 per 100,000 people. It marks the first time the health department has adjusted that level since debuting this new system under Mayor Adams' administration earlier this year. Now, what does that mean? How will life be different for you now that we are at threat-level medium? Uh, It almost reminds me of the film that uh, Michael Scott directed, Threat-Level Midnight. What does threat-level medium do? How will life be different from you tomorrow now that you're living in a threat-level medium world? Answer... It means nothing. Life will be no different. There are no additional restrictions. You could still walk around a restaurant unmasked and unvaccinated. It will mean nothing. So, I mean, what's the point? What's the point? And fortunately, Mayor Adams, when he spoke about this yesterday, he basically said that he has no interest in bringing back any lockdowns. Uh, But you can bet that there are going to be growing calls from the health community and from his own health commissioner to do exactly that, which would be a mistake. And I know hospital, I mean, um, Philadelphia is doing um, masks indoor again now. But I hope New York does not go in this direction. It would be a real disaster. And we have a real-time experiment going on to see how communities who have these lockdowns, are doing. Let's look at China. China is under a full-fledged lockdown, at least in Shanghai. And this includes NYU students there. Now, I take this very personally. I went to New York University. And according to um, NYU and Chinese studies professor Rebecca Carl, New York University students in Shanghai have been committing suicide amidst lockdown despair while the school 
has sought to cover it up. That's what Rebecca Carl wrote in an email on April 25th. Quote, I have heard that there have been several suicides among the students already, all of it swept under the rug for the sake of NYU's reputational convenience. Students are suffering. Many faculty are as well. Rebecca Carl wrote that in an email uh, and that was obtained and published by the New York Post. NYU denies that there have been any lockdown related suicides. It's very disappointing to say the, to say the very least to see a university faculty member traffic in misleading gossip about something so serious. That's the word from university spokesman John Beckman. I, um, you know, I, I don't know anything about Rebecca Carl or her credibility. Uh, no reason to have an opinion one way or another about this. Aside from this, why would Rebecca Carl, who's in China right now, why would she make this up? Why would she make up the fact that Shanghai NYU students are killing themselves? To me, it makes no sense. So uh, whatever. I, I don't know whether it's true or not. I do know that um, we have seen lockdowns negatively impact almost every area of public health. Um Alcoholism up, drug use up, mental illness up. I'm going to talk about that with Dr. Keith Ablo next hour. And it's hindered, especially in children, everything from speech to early warning signs about child abuse. So I sincerely hope that we've learned our lesson from the last two years and we're not um, we're not anywhere close to bringing back these lockdowns. And look, the key metric, in my view, to look at here is hospitalizations and deaths. It's not positive cases. Who cares if there are positive cases if no one's being hospitalized and dying? So that's my two cents. You're welcome to comment as you see fit. 800-848-WABC. That's 800-848-9222. Mike is on Long Island. Hello, Mike. Hey, Frank, on a lighter note, I have to tell you, I listen all the time. I love the Abbott and Costello routine between you and Curtis, and I listen to you both equally. And thank God Curtis stepped in on the weekends, by the way. Yeah, he's doing a great job. Uh, But I got to tell you, I got to give credit to Curtis for both ends of that Abbott and Costello routine, because I'm not really doing much. I'm just sitting here. That's what Lou does. You're right. You're right. He was the straight man. That's true. All right. Thank you, Mike. No, actually, no, it was uh, Abbott was the straight man. Costello was the was the comic. Uh, Pete is on Staten Island. This is not Pete Davidson, is it? No, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's not Pete Davidson. It's Pete who worked for Saturday Night Live for uh, 30 years. Ah, I see. I was close. Same You're right. Close. Right. Church. Wrong. Pew. That's right. I wanted to talk about, you mentioned about with uh, gifts and the weddings and for the baptisms. I got a little bit of a funny so- story, but it's a little sad, but it happened. I, I, when I go to affairs, I give either money orders or gift certificates because uh, one of my relatives, they asked me, they says, you came to my uh, 75th birthday and you didn't give a gift. Now, uh, what happens is they have... 
uh, place where you put the gifts, and they had a camera running on most of these catering halls, you know. So what happened was uh, I said to them, well, I have a receipt for the uh, gift certificate. Actually, I gave a money, uh, a gift card. I have a receipt on my, because I buy it on the credit card. But they, you know, they told me because they didn't get anything. They thought it was surprising. But evidently, what happened, somebody just lifted it. So they, they never got it. And I showed that I didn't, you know, guess them. And uh, it was a little bit of a funny but sad story, you know. And that's why, like, I'm a little paranoid. That's how I do things now. You know, I get, I have a receipt. All right. Well, I think that's a very, that's a very wise philosophy, uh, Pete. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, you know, I can see why you made it on Saturday Night Live for 30 years. You got that common sense that um, you know back then in the heyday of Saturday Night Live was very valued. I suppose, right? Um, you know, so one person just emailed me and said, "Just send a simple thank you note." to your friend and your cousin and thank them for coming. Well, but see, here's what I want to avoid. Now, of course, that's what I would do, but here's what I want to avoid. I don't want to be in a position where they, you know, left a gift and it was misplaced and I send them a thank you note and they think that I'm thanking them for the gift when if they wrote a check or something or whatever the case may be, that it's missing you know, that's what I'm kind of trying to avoid. Uh, we're going to talk with Joey Reynolds in just a few minutes. Meantime, Joe is in New Jersey. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. I was uh, down in Atlantic City this weekend. I talked about you a lot to my wife. Oh, I yeah. I just wanted to get your thoughts. Where'd you uh, stay? Yeah, we, uh, we did the weekend at the Trop. Uh, a lot of fun. Um, we had two good dinners. We did Carmine's Friday and uh, the Palm on Saturday. Oh, Not so you cheap, did both of your so dinners at the Trop also? Yeah, yeah, we like to, I mean, we walk the length of the boardwalk, but when we're there, we park. We don't ever like to, you know, have to move the car again until sure. it's time to, time to leave. Same. Um, no, it was just, it was, it was a beautiful weekend. We we also we went to a, if you're down there, or when you're down there, you probably know about this. There's a, um, a great beer garden about 50 yards or so away from the drop, right on the boardwalk. Uh, it was great atmosphere. You sit outside mm. and... Uh, a huge beer selection. Uh, the food doesn't have a big menu. It's a little expensive, but it's it's definitely like the bratwurst. Yeah, no, I'm familiar with it. It's uh, it's very very solid. Uh, very solid. Uh, you know, uh, great beer selection as you mentioned, and good German food. I um I, I've I'm definitely familiar with it. It's great. And the Trop is actually adding some some new dining options, including Hash House a Go Go, which is very big in. Vegas and in other places. It's a great breakfast spot. And they're adding some other, I think, seven or eight new restaurants are going to be added to the Trop, restaurants and bars. So a lot of exciting things happening at the Trop. What did you play while you were down there? Uh, I played it safe. I didn't play anything. Wonderful. Best way to to do it. Wonderful. You're the big winner. You came up. I I brought you up to my wife a lot because she sleeps when I listen to you and – no, I was just telling her all about how, you know, every once a week you, you talk about the city and how, you know, you learn some interesting stuff. And that was it. I just figured I, you, you came up in conversation and I would let you know. Well, Joe, I'm flattered. Thank you. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll run into you down there sometime. That's awfully nice. And now how would I find Joe down there in Atlantic City if we're both walking the boardwalk? Well, hopefully Joe would get a The Other Side of Midnight baseball cap or a Frank Morano baseball cap. Check out uh, the hats available at our store, wabcradiostore.com. And if you order one, 
be sure to go to our Facebook group and post a photo of yourself wearing it or the shirt. A nice uh, gentleman, Chris, Chris Gambino, uh, posted a great picture, a three-dimensional photo of himself wearing the Frank Morano hat and uh, the other side of Midnight Alien T-shirt. The guy looks great. And you could, if you join the Facebook group, you could see what, how he's styling and profiling with that there. Uh, let me squeeze in one more call here before we get to Joey Reynolds. Joe is in Ronkonkoma. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Another awesome show. Oh, thanks. Uh, two things. Uh, I, uh, I cheated on you yesterday. I called in for the first time. I spoke to Rudy Giuliani. It was such an honor to speak to him. He's such a gentleman like yourself. Well, he really is. But you're not cheating on me. He's, he's not on at the same time. Well, that's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, as far as the gift, I have a suggestion for you. What you could do is call the two people up and say that you noticed a lot of gifts were missing. Ah. And, you know, and play the devil's advocate and say, you know, I don't. I want to make sure that you didn't leave it and it walked away. So if they say, oh, I mailed it or, oh, yeah, I did give you something, then you have a leg to stand on. You know, by sending a thank you or something, then the people are going to be like, oh, yeah, he got it. Right. That's what I'm worried about. And and again, these are both, you know, very generous people, you know, and very and neither one of them is um, is destitute. Uh, So it's like but I also don't want to look like I'm begging for a gift because honestly, I don't care if there's a gift. I just if there was, I don't want it, you know, you know, lost somewhere, you know. Yeah. Have a great night, Frank. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for calling. Hey, uh, Joey Reynolds is going to join me in a moment. We're going to talk about radio. We'll talk about uh, staying up late at night. We'll talk about interview, the art of the interview, all sorts of things. If you want to uh, be heard on any subject, you can give me a call. 800-848-9222. Listen to my conversation with Joey Reynolds straight ahead. WABC. It's probably for the best that whoever sang that song found another career. Uh, and, you know, what, there's something about overnight radio, uh, which if you're listening to us right now, I think you appreciate more than most. It, there's something so unique about it, something so special, something so intimate, something so warm, where the people that you listen to at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 o'clock in the morning, even if you've never met them, uh, they're with you at a time when you'd never you ever have a person with you, with you when you're going to the bathroom, with you when you're showering, with you when you're in bed alone, uh, with you under the weirdest possible circumstances you can imagine. And I think that's created an intimacy between the people that do overnight radio and do it well and the people that listen to it. And I'll tell you, there is nobody that did overnight radio better than Joey Reynolds. Uh, I was a fan of Joey's work 
for many years on uh, WOR 710. I followed his career in a bunch of its different incarnations, and it's still going strong. We'll tell you about what he's doing now. Uh, But for me, uh, when it comes to being a master of the overnight airwaves, uh, I'd be hard-pressed to list people that did it better than Joey Reynolds. And I'm just thrilled that he's agreed to come out of overnight retirement and join me for a few minutes this morning. My great pleasure to welcome legendary talk show host, DJ, podcaster, probably four or five other hats I'm failing to name, the one and only Joey Reynolds. Joey, thanks for joining me on the radio. Oh, thanks, Frank. If anybody could ever live up to that one, <laughs> don't you introduce somebody by playing Rats in My Room? Are you kidding? <laughs> what was the story with Rats in My Room? That, that... Well, and you refer to it as, as singing. That's not singing. That was punishing to the ears. So uh, tell, uh, well, tell folks know, the, who haven't heard about I that. I can tell you about that. Yeah. You, you might be interested in this story because ABC and WMCA used to battle it out during the top 40 days. And back then we had, uh, I, w- I worked, you know, I got my name uh, came from Strauss, who owned WMCA. I worked for their radio station in Buffalo because my real name is Joey Pinto. And they wanted didn't want any ethnic names, so they, they uh, gave me the name Joey Reynolds. And I was at WMCA for one night, one night. When I was a kid, I was like 19. And uh, they they said to me, the manager of the station came in, he says, can you do a one-hour show instead of six 10-minute shows? Because I was all over the map, you know? And it's, my head was always like my mother. You never, my, I call my mother Jimmy Hoffa, never finish a <laughs> sentence. I, I get to the point where I, I was working on WMCA, and and when I finally made it big time, I, I loved this Rats in My Room record, and I got tried to get it played on WMCA. And they said, no, because there was a rat epidemic in New York in the subway. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine it got turned down because of the uh, conditions of New York? And I thought, wow, if I ever get to New York, I'm going to play that record. So by the time I got to WOR, I would never disgrace myself by playing that record. <laughs> I guess I got a little older and, and I got more mature. But that, uh, you know, I got a uh, tiny Tim recorded that too. I got him to record that, and it never he never released it because he passed away. But you know who he is, right? Of course, remember absolutely. Was, remember uh, that wedding? That was uh, nothing bigger than the, that wedding. Yeah, that was that was someone only my age who would remember. You know, we're in a different time with with demographics, as you know. Uh, demographics don't count now. It's interest. It's not how old you are. It's what you're interested in. And I I think uh, I mean I know you didn't pick a subject, and I'm not. I, I'm championing one, and that is to turn the. Uh, corner here on putting social networking together with commercial radio. I think uh, we have to come to grips with the fact that people know more and the electronics has changed our world and using both now the electronics and, and having social involvement and the commercial professionalism that you have 
is a is a winner. I think that's that's where we're going right now. I know you didn't ask me that, but I wanted to mention it. Yeah, no, I'm glad you did. Now, just uh, for folks who may not be familiar with your history, as I mentioned, I, I think you have developed you developed a whole legion of fans from 1996 to when you first came to WOR till you left. I guess what was it about 2010? You were doing overnight still. Uh, I think. Yeah, around there. I don't. Okay. I don't. I'm very bad with uh, with. I did this. I did that. Dates. Uh, so when you started early in your radio career, you were a DJ. You do some funny, funny bits, but you would primarily play music. By the time you got to WOR, obviously that's a talk station. You weren't uh, playing music anymore. Tell me about the evolution of your career as a radio as a radio personality, going from a DJ, kind of a wacky, wacky DJ, to do doing um, a very different type of talk show than everyone else was doing, but still a talk show nonetheless. Well, I'm glad you got all night. (laughs) (laughs) No, when I began, I was actually on television in Buffalo. I was a kid. I was in school, in high school. And I won a contest with uh, Bill Mazur, who eventually made it to New York. He's a great sportscaster. WEVD, 1050. He would do Mazur in the morning. Before that, he was in Buffalo, and he was he was a sportscaster on on our station owned by NBC. As a matter of fact, uh, they had a UHF station they owned. So I was on. I, I won a contest of the announcer of the future, and I had the worst voice. I had no personality and no reason to be winning any contest, but I mimeographed the votes and I got caught. So uh, I won the contest <laughs> illegally. Wow. I had a friend uh, at school help me mimeograph the book. I was a very ambitious kid, you know, and uh, and I I got stopped. The ad agency said, we can't give you the money. We can't award you the contest, but we want to hire you because you're so full of crap. We think you'd be a great salesman. <laughs> and that's what happened. <laughs> so I really started on, on uh, Bill Mazur's show inadvertently. That was the beginning of my career. And, uh, when and I stayed in sales. I, I got into radio sales, and uh, as I graduated from school and traveled around the country, I've, I had quite a career. You know, I've, a, I've done a lot of things in my life, that, and, that's and for mostly sure. the, the, my favorite my favorite stuff has been right now, uh, because I think these days we we have so much to play with with the electronics and you know the only platform i don't want is the one on the subway but i like being on all the platforms i think it's great it's, it's fun and uh even tiktok which is a a short version of of rudeness you know i mean i i i, I like all of this i think this is fun right well, now you've been doing it for uh, over 60 years so if you uh, if you didn't like it i would think probably you should have picked a different career a while well, ago I, but I have had many careers. I, I didn't only be a disc jockey. Uh, don't forget, I was a, uh, I did all the marketing for Star Wars. I did the uh, first uh, satellite show, 1980. I was the first satellite host. I've done a lot of things in my life. Yeah, no, that's for and, sure. Uh, and, uh... and mostly off the air, off the air. But I made a change that, you know, in answer to your question earlier, I, I took the long way around, I guess I'm probably not a good guest but you you asked me about uh you know the the shift to to the talk you indicated that mm-hmm. 
And I was a I was a disc jockey, but I never I, I liked the music, and I liked playing the music. And I was a kid, and I was excited. And what I liked especially was we had local bands, and we had local performers, and we were playing them on our local radio stations. So they it was a different ball game. It was a, it was a, it was fun to to make hits and to get on the air and and know the bands and go to the clubs and do all these things. We didn't have clubs exactly, not the way that we know them now. But it was uh, it was record hops, you know. But we had a different kind of a world, and it was uh, simpler, but yet still fun. And I, after the Beatles came along, they got bigger than the disc jockey. And the personalities on the air, like we were, were we didn't mean as much after the Beatles came because they were so popular, so loved, people couldn't get enough of them, and we were just in the way. So when we when they uh, when they came on and we were playing all of the Beatle records, nobody wanted to hear me talk. So I I didn't do that anymore. I quit, and that's when I moved to L.A. and I started production companies and did a lot of other things. But I got convinced to uh, do something called Satellite Radio, and I was the first host, 1980, uh, out of Hollywood. And as a result of that, I did. I, w- I went to Denver on a weekly basis and did the first simulcast, which was radio and TV on an NBC-owned television or radio station. So I was talking, and I was told by the guy who was the program director of the radio, because he had can you imagine having two program directors, one for radio, the other one for TV? Mm-hmm. Boy, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> so the, the guy who was the, uh, the genius program director, and he was, uh, Jim Hawthorne, he said to me, he said, you know, you're a lousy talk show host. And I said, well, they hired me for this. He said, they don't know what they're doing. I said, Thanks a lot. <laughs> he said, I, I can work with you, make, maybe help you to be one. And I uh, started to do what he wanted me to do, which was to have some fun on the air and be myself. And it worked. So uh, I shift. I, I would say it certainly did. Uh, we're talking with Joey Reynolds. If uh, if you want to learn more about Joey's incredible career over the course of six, more than 60 years, you can go to his website, thejoeyreynolds.com. That's thejoeyreynolds.com. There's some great audio on there. There's, uh, there's all sorts of neat photos on there. It's interesting. Uh, and even Joey's book, Let a Smile Be Your Umbrella and Don't Get a Mouthful of Rain. You can even get that through the website. You can also just get it on Amazon. Joey, I know you were at... Uh, uh, 660 WNBC, you took over for Howard Stern. In fact, it was interesting. About a year ago, you posted on Facebook this uh, this baseball game that the WNBC staff had at Shea Stadium, uh, along with my colleague Bernard McGurk, who I almost didn't recognize because he had so much hair at the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, Howard Stern wasn't Howard Stern back then, but he was Howard Stern. He did, at a very uh, early time, develop a devoted fan base. He was seen very early on as uh, sort of the bad boy of 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 radio what is it like needing to uh, fill in for that guy or take over for that guy did you get the sense there was a lot of resentment from the audience no and that wasn't exactly true uh i was in philadelphia doing a morning show on wfil and we were number one and having great ratings 
And they asked me to come to WYSP, and I suggested to them that they carry Howard's show. He was on in the afternoon at the time and simulcast it at WYSP in Philly. Uh, the manager and I were friends. So I, I stayed close to that. Now, when Howard got fired at NBC, they were, they were looking around for someone for about six months. So I did not replace him directly. Uh, they took the show that I was doing in Philly and put it on the air in the afternoon, six months after Howard left. And he, and Dale Parsons was the program director. He was a terrific guy, incidentally. Uh, you know, we had a lot of uh, I've had a lot of help through the years. You can't do anything alone, you know. That's for sure. That's for sure. And even right now, you got uh, you know you got you. Fortunately, you have a good owner for the radio station that you're on right now, uh, and uh, he loves radio, and also he's uh, he likes what what you guys are doing. You know that helps. I, I couldn't so, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Now, yeah, I mean. Oh, the station's terrific, and and it's uh, it's it's the closing caption on on the AM radio band the way that we knew it, but I think he's expanded it too. He put an FM station on in Long Island. I think uh, it's a simulcast. I believe that's the case. That's right. right. We are, you're being heard right now on one hundred seven point one FM in Eastern Long Island, and then you're on you're online as well. You're on the internet. And see, you know, we all make our we make our choices as, as to what is comfortable. My my whole deal was to have a good family. You know, I mean, I'm I'm a family guy. I, that's the whole point. I I'm not one of those people that uh, has to uh, be famous and rich. Although it's nice, <laughs> <laughs> it was great great to have more money than I needed, and it was great to have people really love me who I didn't know. But uh, the fact of the matter is, I have a family. I have my grandchildren, and I've had uh, I have a brand new baby this last week. As a matter of fact, my one daughter in California. So I have five grandchildren. Oh, that's now. great! Congratulations! That that's wonderful. Uh, thanks. You know, I mean, see, that's the the deal is that America is more about family than it is about celebrity and and corporate caca. But we have become that. And you know, I'm I mean, on WABC on the talk part of the station and incidentally bernie bernie mcgorky you mentioned his name but she go said that he was a he was a marine you know a u.s marine and and a good one uh so i i wanted to mention that because he's uh he's a solid guy too he comes from serving the country i don't know if you know that or not yeah no i did and you know i mentioned that the other day actually and his partner sid reminded me that uh you know that he didn't he had he basically as as sid said he uh, he used the term washed out at paris island and didn't really serve technically in the Marine Corps because he had a, a health issue. But I still think I still gave him credit on the year for serving in the I Marine. I do, too. I uh, do, too. That's, he, why, he, that's he, why I said that. Yeah, he did. And I did a documentary on Marines, you know. It's online. It's on the on YouTube, The Making of a Marine. It's an hour and a half from Paris Island. And I did I did a thing with a kid who was 12 years old, and his make-a-wish was he wanted to be full-dressed uh, at the Make-a-Wish Foundation, and they gave him his wish. And it, and he passed away, unfortunately, mm. a year later. But it's a documentary. And we have to have a great regard for uh, people who serve, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, I didn't mean to get off on that. So no, much, no, that's I, okay. Um, uh, I, I want to mention Bernie because, you know, he came a long way. I used to drive him. I drove him home, uh, as I recall, years ago. And I, 
uh, he was just hanging around Imus in those days. That was a long time ago, though. You know. Uh, no, and uh, he's, uh, do, he's doing great. And we all we all used to hang around to get. We didn't have intern programs. We didn't get paid for for uh, jobs easily. See, back in those times, uh, this is going to sound like an old man now. In those days, everything was figured out. Just about, we were all formatted. The whole country was figured out. It was very difficult to get a job. You had to wait till someone died or your father hired you. You know, I mean, it, it it was so hard to get into anything. And now we have a situation where the country is so split and separated that you now have a chance to get into most anything that you have a desire to do. Right. Uh, Got to back it up and have some skills. But but it's a it's an amazing change. Uh, you can you can uh, those who are listening to this station right now and, and, and are looking to do something on their own and, and, and make a way of life with a hobby, make your hobby your work. This is the perfect time in history. Yeah. It's a great time. Uh, no, well said. Well said. We're talking with Joey Reynolds, a legendary radio personality and has uh, done a lot of other things, had a lot of other careers in and out of uh, in and out of media. Uh, Joey, I alluded to your time as the overnight host at WOR. I love that show because it was so different. You'd assemble these different panels of people, some Sometimes uh, people who were from similar walks of life, but sometimes it seemed like you'd play mad scientist and find the most different people that you could and put them in a room together. One is how did you manage lifestyle wise to this is a question I ask. I get asked a lot and I'll ask I'll ask it to you now. How did you manage lifestyle wise to do those hours for 15 years? I'm always looking for a few tips in that respect. Well, first of all, you got to love New York, mm. and 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 you have to love the diversity diversity of New York. And I'm not talking about inclusion; I'm talking about loving New York and and how diversified the the communities. There's different neighborhoods. There's all great things to do, and you have to be interested in all of them. I did not know anything about opera. I knew nothing at all about Lincoln Center when I first came, and I had a wonderful producer. Then I started doing the show from other places in the country, uh, I mean, out of the country, from China, from Israel. And I, and I kept – everything always came back to New York, though. It was always about New York. And and I went to everything. They used to say I'd go to the opening of an envelope, you know, and I would bring that to the to the show. That's why I had an eclectic show. We had a cocktail party without booze every night, and it was it was a contradiction. But, you know, that's what we were doing. We had the space to do it. I wouldn't say that uh, uh, the station was thrilled to have that. They wanted me to answer phones and argue. <laughs> I didn't want to do that. I don't want to answer phones. And I was tired of hearing people call and tell me how the Yankees didn't win. <laughs> I mean, you know, and, and, and you, you, you can form a relationship like that with people on the phone. And then there's the people who are listening who don't care about your conversation. And they may not care about this one right now. But, you know, the ones that are getting caught up in something that you're saying, they're going to want more of you. And then you build a loyalty factor. And that's what I had. I, I love that whole idea of of coming to work at midnight and doing whatever the hell I wanted to do and having everybody there that I wanted to have and not having anybody in management tell me what to do. I was there almost 15 years. I never had a, a, a problem with I never. First of all, I never got reprimanded for anything, never got a memo. Never got reprimanded from the programmers or the manager. We never had an issue with 
being sued, never had the FCC, no breaking no laws. It was never that. However, the irony is that I was a shock jock years ago, mm. and everything was breaking the rules when I was 19 years old, you know. And uh, I, I'm known for being the, the first shock jock. And Howard Stern came along and and did – well, my, my see, my shock was I was anti-establishment. Anti, uh, That's what I was doing. Howard was about sex. Mm-hmm. Imus was about politics. We each had different shtick, and 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 yet we were all we we gathered this irreverence and this outlaw type persona, and actually uh, I didn't like doing that so much. I like being liked. I wanted to be loved. That's why I, I, many people get in, into performing because they want to be loved. They want people to like them, and you know sometimes you don't get it at home, so you wait until you get yourself a show if you can. Or yeah. television uh, or motion picture. I, I think you, you certainly were liked and loved uh, by many. In terms of the uh, – I, I know it's such an unfair question and I hate it when people uh, give it to me. But if you had to pick your either favorite panel of guests or favorite guest that you ever interviewed uh, as a talk show host, is there any that stand out? No. Uh because every night was different. It was a, uh, a sunrise surprise when I went home in the morning that I didn't get killed for what I had just done. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, I live that way. And I think that every day making it up as you go, I like mother Teresa. I had her on the show once, you know, and, uh, and I asked her, I said, you ever get mad at anybody? She said, Oh yeah. I said, well, what do you do when you get mad? You know, I'm asking mother Teresa about getting <laughs> anger. And she said, Oh, I just uh, do something for someone else, and I repeat the action ten times. So you know, you learn to listen to people like that and have have that kind of a conversation, and you and you 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 can't you can't go wrong. I mean, if you have all those kinds of things every night, not only a spiritual one, but whether it was a political one. You know, I had a great lawyer, I had Obama's attorney on with me one night, casually. And I said, "What's what? How are we going to fix this thing in this country right now?" We were going through the economy stuff that was really mm-hmm. uh, Obama's. Uh, uh, at that time, we had we had a bad economy. Big news, right? So he <laughs> said, uh, "The lawyer said to me, well, we graduated too many lawyers, and uh, we can't do anything about it.'" And I said, "Well, what what's the good news?" He said, "The good news is that we have a garden." of good laws and bad laws and the bad laws are hiding the good ones. The good are hiding the bad and we have to straighten it out. I was telling the president that this morning he said to me. So, you know, when you have conversations like that, you have somebody tell you that they were talking to the president and here's what they think. It's very, I mean, you, how can you pick someone that's diverse and it's not because they're uh, a Justin Bieber or because it's uh, someone who knows, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I hate to mention names because then you, you get into these uh, separations. I wish we would stop separating. I, I, I pray that we all stop taking our interests to a party, a political party. It's all it's done is create this confusion because uh, we are at odds with everything. And I and I don't like it i just don't like it so i like doing what i was doing and in answer to your question i couldn't pick one 
Uh, uh, I would have to say I liked almost every night that I was on the air, there was a highlight. And there were things that were not so fun. But you get by them. And it's a lot of time. You know, you're on the air for a lot of time. It's a long time. Oh, no. I Believe me. You don't have to tell me. What are you doing? Well, you know, the, good, the good news about right now What's with that? this is that uh, people are – you have their attention a, a little better because there's less less distraction perhaps. And some are, are not able to sleep and they rely on you to be their friend. And they get to know everything about you. So you can't uh, – you better be honest because you can't hide too much when when you have a, a relationship on the air with somebody. And that's the difference with the overnight radio is that you have a relationship. The other stuff is about – usually it's about getting the job done and, uh, you know, making making themes and contests about opinions and maybe even information. These days, even the television has gotten to be boring. People don't want to watch TV uh, like we used to because it's not fun. Fun is a good word. Uh, that uh, The old night show that you're doing is good. It's fun. Well, we have and a lot have of fun. To... That, that's for sure. Yeah, you do. Uh, it... You can say anything you want to say. Nobody's going to stop you. Yeah. And well... the management... They're not even awake. Well, I got to tell you, our, our owner, John Katsimatidis, it, he is a night owl. He's listening just about every day. So that's the one thing that uh, I think we uh, that may differ from the, the typical overnight uh, radio format. But thankfully, he seems to be a, a fan and things are going in the right direction. Joey, for your fans who've been following you for a long time, wondering what you're up to now, what are you doing these days? Oh, well, I'm on, I, first of all, I'm on the internet every day because I do a Reynolds rap. I'm on face. Well, I, I'm on several platforms. I'm on TikTok whenever it's a, a short spin, but I'm on YouTube. The late Joey Reynolds, I call myself, not because I died. It's because I was on late. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also am on Facebook. I have the maximum amount of people that I like to have which is to uh, be able to do the shows that I want to do. I do them famously at home and I do them outdoors. You know, I have a porch and uh, there was a very interesting thing on 60 minutes on Sunday. So there is hope for young people in broadcasting. Incidentally, I want to throw this out there. Uh, The last piece they did on 60 minutes was about a kid who's running along like a Looney tune uh, as Howard Stern and Imus and I did, except he was very clean. And he has a bullhorn, and he was saying that birds are fake. And he started a whole controversy about that, with birds being monitoring systems like drones up in the sky, and birds are fake. And he's made a big deal out of it. It's like having Saturday Night Live on, on 60 Minutes. I was really surprised that CBS did that. But because it was so cool, I got motivated, and I went outside that night, and I have a fake owl. And I and I turned the lights on, on me, but it was dark behind me. And I took the owl and hung him from a pole. And I, I furthered the theme, which I stole from that kid who was on 60 Minutes. So I just wanted to, you know, you want to have fun. I just want to have fun. I, I try to be uh, uh, creative with my time and, and to do things that I think are going to make people happy. See, I always liked the people. I never really cared about the management. I liked the audience. And I, I, I played to a crowd. 
Uh, Finally, Joey, and I hope to have you back. I could talk with you all day. But um, one of the things I enjoyed your show is it did seem like you were having fun. It seemed like the people that you were speaking to were having fun. And no matter how heavy what was going on in the news was, you were always able to give people a break for a few hours and not have them stress stress out about what the day's news is. I've tried to emulate that to some extent. Uh, a lot of people very fired up today about the news that it looks like the Supreme Court is going to overturn Roe versus Wade. Um, on a day like that, for instance, how do you still stay focused on being entertaining and having fun when the audience may want to go in another direction? And even at times you may want to go in another heavier direction. How do you how do you still maintain that degree of levity? Well, I'm in Florida right now. We have a governor that that uh, is having a war with Disney. So I put on a Cinderella dress. <laughs> That's what you do. You do. You, you play into it. It's, you know, uh, Shakespeare said to uh, the play is a thing. He said that in the 15th century it hasn't changed. You know, I mean, certain things have not changed. Some things still work. We just don't do them anymore. Uh, one of them is comedy and entertainment An entertainment show. That's what you guys do on weekends. You know, cousin Bruce, I love I love Bruce. You know, he's a he's a grand uh, example of somebody who's uh really never gave up and he's he's still around doing all this all the things that the artist that he always did he's a great great you know he's fun he's fun and tony orlando is a good guy i love i love Rhea cosby incidentally you know i mean there's a lot of people that uh that are that are around you right now that are entertaining and fun we just happen to be in an industry that uh, let me just say this uh, this is honestly the, uh my my little parting shot because I know you you got to wrap me up here somewhere, but you know, uh, we have trained. We, we the country used to be a work country, and we have become we've shifted from a work culture to an investment culture, and most people work if you can, if you want to, if you're skilled. Those are all qualifications, and there are plenty of jobs. We are a work country, but the country is run by investors. It's run by stockholders, and the first thing they do is get rid of employees. And that's why Amazon is going right now, if you want to be a little controversial. That's probably why there's a union uh, movement now, uh, so there's a voice from the regular people, the worker pe- working people. I'm a working bee. I've always worked for someone, and I like it. Uh, I like I like having a paycheck from someone else. And I like not having the responsibility of doing the books. How about you? I, I can I can empathize a great deal. I'm still trying to get my head around the uh, the first answer that you gave about uh, having more money than you need. And I'm trying to imagine what that must be like. And I'm trying to imagine what amount of money that would be, especially well, when you're uh, well, raising your family. You, if you want to if you want to make money, don't spend money. That's true. That's, That's how true. You make money. That's true. You have it coming into you. And then the other thing is, you know, like today, I went and I, I put a down payment on a pork chop, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's the old joke thing. I, I went to uh, to the delicatessen. I asked for 50 cents worth of Swiss cheese, and the guy wrapped up three holes. You know, these are the old <laughs> jokes. Nothing's changed uh, in that regard. That's right. That's and, right. We, we have a country right now that is uh, overpriced, and uh, we need to go to hydrogen fuel, I think, instead of uh, – Instead of electric, I had electric. I had a hydrogen car for a year, 
from uh, General Motors. I drove it. I put everybody in the car, including the mayor and everybody else, Bloomberg at the time. And I, I put everybody in, the, in that car, and everybody knew it was the right way to go. But then you kill the oil industry, which is is world class. You know, I mean, you, you, if you move one thing, you're going to affect another. It's cause and effect. Mm. Uh, Joey, on that note, uh, we're going to have to. Uh, yeah, have I know. To see, we got serious. You can't get serious here. <laughs> <laughs> all right thank you my friend i look forward to seeing you in person soon and uh i will look forward to doing this on the radio sometime soon as well yeah and if and if you need anything don't call me <laughs> joey reynolds uh a razor a wit a wit as razor sharp as ever if you want to comment on any portion of our discussion you're welcome to give me a call 1-800-9 1-800-848-WABC that's 1-800-848-9222 this is the other side of midnight i'm frank moreno straight ahead WABC. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. That's Naomi Judd singing Turn It Loose. Uh, Unfortunately, Naomi Judd uh, passed away this week. What's even sadder is the manner in which her passing came to be. Uh, She unfortunately took her own life. Uh, It seems appropriate that it is Mental Health Awareness Week, a month actually, Mental Health Awareness Month, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the state of mental health, the state of depression, and uh, the state of loneliness with Dr. Keith Abloh uh, coming up in about a half hour. Very much looking forward to that conversation. Taking your calls at 800-848-9222. Tom is in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yes, yes hi, uh, Frank. I'd like to say that uh, I was a listener of Joey Reynolds two years ago, and uh, he used to talk about his cheese factory, I remember. And... Uh, he, he was big on that. He used to go into details about that. Did you, did you remember? I do cheese? remember that. Look, you know I'm a cheese aficionado. I remember it well. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'd just like to say something else. Uh, over here, I heard the song, Rats in My Room. Uh-huh. Well, I in the kitchen, I started to get a replay of things coming up. I had I had a uh, I had a little invasion of uh, raccoons in my house, little raccoons, baby raccoons, and I looked down. I thought it was a I thought it was a rat, and uh, and sure enough, it was a baby raccoon. Oh my! Around they come they came. I'm on the sixth floor. It came all the way upstairs, believe it or not, through the walls. Anyway, I thought it was a rat, but now I think it, it was a raccoon, little <laughs> raccoon. Well, but I, I, I complained to the uh, the office and uh, and my super, 
and they they cementing it now on the perimeter of the building. That's where they're getting in. I, you know, that is interesting, Tom. I'm not really sure what to do with that information. I have to be honest. Uh, Tom. No, well, I'm afraid you can't do anything. Yeah, but I'm glad I'm aware of it now, though, Tom. Thank you. You know, it's interesting. Um, by the way, if, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can do so at Frank Morano. That's Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. Or uh, just go follow me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Fan. I try to share a lot of the articles uh, that we talk about on the show as talk topics. I try and post them on there and then put out a lot of different interesting questions that people will weigh in on. And most recently, I just picked, put up some photos from Sunday of Carmine's baptism. That's uh, facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. And if you join that Facebook page or like the Facebook page, you'll get an invitation to join the Facebook group. And that's a forum for discussing the things that we uh, – it's a forum for people who listen to the show to talk about the show. So if either of those things appeal to you, you could find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Fan. My friend uh, – I have a friend. I don't want to say who. But a very prominent political consultant, not only in the New York area, but nationally. He's also a crisis communications expert. And he suggested that when we have interviews early in the show, like in the one o'clock hour, that we should think about replaying them later in the show, maybe in the four o'clock hour. He talked about how I miss used to do that. John Gambling used to do that. And I said, yeah, you know, I think that makes sense in an era without podcasting. But now I feel like if people don't get to hear the whole show, they'll just go back and listen to the podcast. I mean, that's my view. Uh, So I said I would put it out there and get the listener's take on that. So if you have a thought on that, you can either call me and let me know what you think or you can email me at uh, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Do you think we should replay interviews that are earlier, later in the show? He said to me, I can only speak for my own case, he said, sometimes I'm up listening to the early part of your show, sometimes I'm up listening to the later part of your show, rarely am I ever listening to both. But I feel like people that want to hear both, they'll check out the podcast, right? At WABCRadio.com or FMWABC.com. I don't know. Those of you that are holding, we'll get to you in a minute. Keith Ablo will talk to him about mental health and a number of other stories. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, A parent for all of five months now. Uh, But, you know, there's one thing 
that changes immediately when you're a parent, right? In the case, in my case, I am instantly drawn to talk topics that have something to do with child rearing because, uh, you know, all of a sudden I'm more interested in this, maybe in the old days, although I feel like I always did a lot of subjects related to child rearing and the culture and the future. But uh, in the old days, maybe I would glance at a headline. Now I just devour all the articles that I see on this subject. So there was something that caught my eye that I came across yesterday. Children are getting smartphones at a younger and younger age. So smartphones and iPhone or whatever else. um, The number of tweens defined as children ages 8 to 12 with their own smartphones increased from 24% in 2015 to 43% in 2021. Now, that's a pretty significant increase in only six years. That's according to a survey from Common Sense Media. Evidently, smartphones are taking junior high by storm. So now that we have seen survey after survey all saying the same thing, which is that middle schoolers are getting these smartphones younger and younger, Pew Research has now done a survey asking parents why. Asking parents of children ages 11 and younger, why would you give them a smartphone? And I'd be curious for any of you that are parents or grandparents out there, would you give a child, a tween, between the ages of 8 and 12, a smartphone? Now, maybe my attitude will be different in 8 or 9 years. And look, obviously... Even parents are not immune to peer pressure. If every single one of my friend, my son's friends in his junior high school has a smartphone, it becomes much more difficult to tell him no. But I still think that my answer would be no. I think 8, 9, 10 years old, I think it's just a little too young to have a smartphone. I really do. Especially in the age where, you know, I know there's different settings that you can have but different age where you don't know what folks are accessing on the Internet and all this this stuff that's out there on the Internet. I don't know. I don't know if I would. Maybe, maybe I'd almost rather him, you know, not to repeat a previous talk topic that we've done, but I'd almost rather him walk to the market and pick up a gallon of milk by himself than have a smartphone. So I was interested in what these um, parents said to this Pew Research group most most of these parents that gave their 8 to 12 year old a smartphone listed making it easy for their children to contact them 78% and vice versa 73% as the major reason less significant reasons included entertainment to do their homework and what what I just alluded to because their friends and classmates have them. At the same time, districts that once banned phones have reversed course as parents' worries over school shootings and violence have unfortunately increased. Yeah, you know, Joe Piscopo and I used to talk about this. He was opposed to all these 
smartphone bans or these mobile phone bans because, in his view, he thought it was a safety issue. So what exactly do children do on their phones anyhow? Tweens and teens were asked to identify the types of media activities they participated in daily across screens. For tweens, these were the top activities. Are you ready? This will come as a surprise to almost no one. 64% said they used it to watch online videos. 65% said they used this smartphone to watch television. 43% said they used it for games. And 34% said they used it for reading. Interestingly, though, when asked which activities they enjoy a lot, tweens preferred online videos to regular old television. Imagine that. Would you ever think you'd see the day where somebody prefers watching, uh, I don't know, a YouTube video to a professionally produced television show? That could spell trouble for media executives in the near future. Because very soon, these tweens are going to become the very same demographic that's targeted by um, advertisers. So it's very interesting to me. So um, interesting. So stuff like game streams, unboxing challenges, and music videos, basically these homemade videos, game streams. Who would ever want to do that? Watch someone else play a game. A video game. It's very popular. You can't not knock it. And unboxing challenges. You know what that is? It's just kids opening boxes. It's crazy. But you can't knock what's current, I guess. Um, so let me know what you think. How old do you think is an appropriate age for a child to have a smartphone? 800-848-WABC. That's 800 848 Nine two two two, and then there was another story, and they wrote about it in Reason, of a woman in Arlington, Virginia, who saw a man taking pictures of children, and she suspected immediately the worst, because of course that's the era that we're living in now—a worst first mentality, where immediately you think the worst possible thing about whatever anyone could possibly be doing. So she thought this was a creep on the prowl with his camera. She thought it was disgusting. So she quickly alerted a security guard. According to a subsequent police report, she told him that she believed the man was photographing children he didn't know, presumably for nefarious purposes. The security guard went to investigate and made contact with the man. As it turns out, the guy was taking pictures of his own children. These were his children. He was a dad on an outing with his kids. The guard went back to report this reassuring news to the lady. Now, you think that's it, right? Case closed. Nope. Not quite. As the Arlington police respond reported, the suspect then intervened and deployed pepper spray and sprayed the victim before fleeing the scene on foot. So the suspect is a woman in her 20s or 30s, a pepper-spraying maniac, 
and the victim is the man taking pictures. The dad sustained non-life-threatening injuries, which were treated at the scene by medics. The suspect was so obsessed with the idea that there are predators everywhere that she literally couldn't accept reality when confronted by it. How sad is that? We may deal with that uh, mentality when we talk with Dr. Keith Abloh in about 15 minutes. So security guru Bruce Schneier coined a term for this leap from mundane reality to thrilling depravity. He calls it, quote, the movie plot threat. The more something resembles a movie plot threat, the less likely it is to happen in real life. Hence, the less time and money we have to spend preventing it. Now, thinking that way is the equivalent of seeing a small bruise and automatically assuming child abuse or seeing a child alone and automatically assuming neglect, which also happens. So um, I, I think that's a sad state of affairs, sad state of affairs. You want to comment on uh, either of those two stories? The fact that smartphones have now taken over junior high schools or the fact that uh, you have this woman who called the authorities for a guy taking photos of his own children and then pepper sprayed him to boot. 800-848-9222. All right, we have a first-timer. Joe is on Rhode Island. Hello, Joe. Hello, Frank. Uh, like you, I'm a, oh, you still are. I'm a former Staten Islander. Huh. I lived there my whole until about six years ago. And I, I read about you in the advance. I'd never heard you. And I, as it happens, I'm sitting in a hospital up here with a, not a bad condition, but I couldn't sleep. And I said, I'm going to try to see what Frank Morano's like. I am thoroughly impressed uh, at the way you conduct yourself, the quality of your callers. And I just wanted to thank you for adding a, a note of civility to this uh this medium. Oh, well, that's awfully nice of you, Joe. What made you move up there to Rhode Island? Well, I retired, and our two daughters live uh, not far away up here, and uh, that's why we came to Rhode Island. Well, well, that's nice. I, well, I'm glad you're not in the hospital for any anything serious, because I can't afford to lose any more listeners, Joe. No, no you won't. Well, you know, I was interested. I knew you were a longtime staffer at WABC, but I never knew what your profile was. Do you do you have time to do that a little bit? Uh, well, yeah, I was uh, I was working here. I was a, a producer primarily for yeah. years, and then I would fill in for for other hosts when I was here. I worked with uh, I filled in for John Gambling. I filled in for Curtis, one or two other shows, and then I went to another radio station for about ten years, and then came back here about two and a half years ago. Good. Well, good luck to you, and thank you. Well, thanks for your interest, Joe. I appreciate you listening, and I appreciate the call. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Good luck with uh, whatever has you in the hospital. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Michael is in Manhattan. Hello, Michael. Michael? All right, Michael's got other things to do. 800-848-9222. Corey is in Brooklyn. Hello, Corey. Hello, Frank. I don't have time for you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't blame you. Uh, yes, uh, so I originally called in for, uh, I can't stand replays 
of the same show. It really gets to me. Yeah, I, you know, I'm not crazy like about... show, I listen to the whole show. Oh, great, great. Well, so I wonder how many yeah. folks are out there like you, because I'm not crazy about the idea of replaying interviews either. And now, now that they replay the best of the other side of midnight, Saturday afternoons at 4 p.m., we can always replay something there. So I think there's even less of a need to replay interviews during the during the show itself. So I kind of you've sort of you've sort of uh, have led me in the direction that I was already leading. Yeah. And the other thing is, uh, I think. Uh, I, I can't put an age because on what age a child should have a smartphone, but they can have a cell phone. Um, but I, I went to Thanksgiving dinner like uh, two and a half years ago before, before the whole coronavirus thing. And my cousin, his kids who were like nine and 12, him and his wife as well were on their phones uh. the entire time. I maybe talked to my cousin for 40 minutes out of the four hours he was there. And they're all, he's, they're competing in some cupcake baking thing or, and, and the girls were just completely disconnected. Well, you know, that's exactly my view as to why I don't think I would encourage my eight or nine year old uh, to have a if, I mean, when my son is eight or nine to have a smartphone, because the way you think about it as adults, almost the, our whole lives are looking through a screen. Do we really need to begin this electronic assault on our children's senses so they could watch unboxing videos at eight years old. I don't think so. Get off my phone. What's that, Corey? It's too much. Yeah. I'm I'm even becoming so dependent on it that I don't look at a map anymore. And then I'm dependent on this machine to tell me where to go. And I find myself in the wrong place. And I'm like, what am I doing? And I'm you know, almost 40 years old. So imagine what it's going to do to a child. They're going to, they won't be able to, they probably can't find their way from their school to their home. Yeah. Um, Corey, yes. great points all. Uh, so needless to say, you would not, if you had a tween child, you would not give him or her a smartphone. I would not. And yeah. Thanks buddy. Your, your show is awesome. Oh, well, thank you, Corey. Appreciate that. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. If you want to comment, uh, six open lines before we do the thousand dollar minute and uh, talk to Keith Abloh. Michael is in Manhattan. Hello, Michael. We're going to try again. Okay, second time is the charm. Absolutely. Um, I was I was intrigued with your interview with Joey Reynolds, but he actually and I listened to him for years. He actually did have a bit of a format on his show. You know, he used to have that couple, uh, husband and wife, she would sing, he'd play the piano. They always seemed to be on there. Uh, he had some guy that owned the nightclub. Um, and it was always free, you know, free flowing, but he was always funny, very funny. 
I mean, I sent you an email. I don't know if you got it. I now, did not see it yet, but I will take a look. I'm a little behind okay. on my emails. All right. He, he worked an, in a very important position with Paramount. And he, I don't know, something bothered him. So he said, the hell with this. He took his shoes and he nailed them to the chairman's door. <laughs> um, but the other thing is he was a very creative guy. He, I don't know if you remember, but at the beginning of the show, he would use the telephone number of the show as, like you do, you know, a theme song. And it was uh, 1-800-321-0710. And he would sing it. He, it was his show is just intriguing. I, I completely and, agree, yeah. Michael. That's uh, and, I was a fan. That's why I invited him on. He left. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so. Michael, uh, I appreciate the uh, the endorsement of our Joey Reynolds interview. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC. If you want to comment, hey, you know, um, let me squeeze in one or two more calls here, and then we'll get to. Um, We'll get to your. Uh, we'll get to giving you an opportunity to win some money, and then we'll talk about Mental Health Awareness Month with uh, with uh, Keith Ablo, who's one of my favorite people to talk about mental health issues with. Mark is in the Bronx. Hello, Mark. Hey, Frank. Um, we live in the Bronx. My my nine, my eleven year old daughter goes to school in Lower Manhattan and and uh, around Delancey Street. So I have to pick her up every day. About four thirty. If I'm going to be late, I need to text her and let her know mm. so that the school doesn't put her out in the street, you know, waiting for me. How old and your daughter? Contact, she's eleven. She's oh. had a, a smartphone since she's since she's nine. And so, and it sounds like well, so that I, what you just described, I can see as being a uh, a pretty convenient use for both her and for you guys. What made you decide to get her the smartphone at nine? Did she ask for it, or was it your idea? Well, she was asking for it, but what what happened was uh, she's always been in school in Manhattan. So when mm. we, if, if I'm going to be late to pick her up, I need to contact the school, and it didn't always get to the person that was releasing the kids. So there was a couple um. times when she was out on the street literally for once for 45 minutes waiting for me because oh. you know traffic in, in midtown sure. Manhattan yeah, you, you have no idea so you know we got to the point where we could not you know accept that we just had to get her the phone I'll text her and she'll respond okay and she'll let the teacher know that um, don't release me my dad's coming to pick me up and he'll come to the office to get me so it kind of made sense. Now, you said something about your eight-year-old. When well, he turns eight, you can, you'd rather send him to get milk. Um, that's a real false sense of security. All it takes is one time for that you know, yeah, to disappear. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to send my kid out. R- yeah, so I think, I think we, we part company on that one, Mark. I don't want to redo the whole segment uh, on this subject okay. uh, from last week. But, you know, I, I have been um, a, a convert to 
Lenore Skenazy's view on this one of what that so. you know, but um, but I hear you. And look, uh, I think when we did this a week or two ago, the vast majority of of callers agreed with you. So that is yet another area uh, where I'm in the minority, <laughs> and I think you're in the majority. Yeah. Mark, thank you very much for the call. Uh, best of luck with your daughter. See, you know that is an interesting thing he brings up: having a child go to school in a different borough. And needing to reach the child. Oh, but, you know, so Obi Murray, who is uh, a very bright guy, he just tweeted at me when and said, smartphones, the jury is out. But during his interview on CNN with Smirkanish, um, he highlights this interview with Matt Richtel, who I've interviewed many times, who's a great guy. He They talk about how smartphones appear to have an impact resulting in less socialization for children. Which I think is true. I think if children get in the habit of interacting with a screen instead of interacting with human beings, I think they're worse off for it. So that's my two cents. All right. uh, We're going to give you an opportunity to win $1,000 in just a minute. If you want to participate, be the seventh caller right now to 1-800-848-WABC. That's 800 848 Nine two two two, and if you are the seventh caller, we'll give you an opportunity to answer ten trivia questions in sixty seconds, and then uh, we'll if you if you can answer them, they're not difficult questions actually. In fact, I was looking at the questions for today. I think they might be a little too easy. But if you can answer them, we will give you one thousand dollars. No loopholes, no tricks, nothing like that. Uh, if you want to give it a shot, dial now, 800-848-9222. We'll do the $1,000 minute and then talk with Dr. Keith Ablo straight ahead. W-A-B-C. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. This is the great James Brown. Funk soul brother number one. Mr. Please, please, please. And the hardest working man in show business. Today, uh, unfortunately, James Brown passed away about 17 years ago. Today would have been James Brown's birthday. Uh, Certainly an icon. I have always been a fan of James Brown's music. And as crazy as he was, I was a fan of his whole funky attitude as well. Hey, uh, we're going to give one lucky person an opportunity to win some cash, $1,000 to be precise, if you can answer 10 simple trivia questions within 60 seconds. It is time for us to play. The Other Side of Midnight presents It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. All right. Thank you, Chris Libertini. I see the caller that was all set to participate in the $1,000 minute 
Lori, uh, we got disconnected. We have been having some phone difficulties of late. So, uh, Lori, call back, and we're going to give you an opportunity to try and compete for a thousand dollars. And uh, we will, uh, you know, do our best to make sure you uh, you win. Or I mean, you'll have to still answer the questions correctly. But Lori, if you're out there, call back uh, quickly. We're going to talk with Keith Ablo in just a moment. Uh, it is Mental Health Awareness Month. I think it is also Mental Health Awareness Week. All right, we have another uh, another contestant. Uh, it is Tyrone in the Bronx. Hello, Tyrone. Good morning. All right, Tyrone. Uh, you're familiar with the game, right? Yes. All right. Now, so um, you're, we're going to begin the timer after I ask the first question, and then uh, the rules are very simple. You'll have an opportunity to – and I see Lori calling back. Let Lori play tomorrow. Get Lori's number, and we'll let her play tomorrow. So um, if if you get one wrong, you lose, but uh, if you get one right, we're just going to move on to the next question so that you uh, we can get through these quickly, okay? Thank you. All right. Um, you ready to go, right? Yes. What president is the Lincoln Tunnel named for? Lincoln. Sorry? Abraham Lincoln. Uh, typically, what color are school buses? Orange or yellow. Who wrote Hamlet? Shakespeare. What actress starred in 1939's The Wizard of Oz? Um, oh, uh, Minnelli? Not Minnelli. Um... Oh, All right. All right. It's not coming to you, I guess. No. All right. It's uh, Judy Garland. Judy Garland was in The Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Uh, well, you did well, Tyrone. Well, you got you got three right. It's not that bad. I'm going to put you on hold. Uh, give your information to um, to Avery, and we'll send you a a consolation prize with some great WABC gear. I'm I'm rocked out with my WABC gear now. I got a WABC Frank Morano T-shirt, which I purchased, and I, I was thrilled when it came yesterday. And this new Studio 77. Bomber jacket. I think it looks great. I'm going to wear this every day. So uh, check that out. Now, somebody who is never in need of uh, of hat wear, including the WABC hat, because he's become so known for his trademark bald head, even more so than people like Mr. Clean and even Sid Rosenberg, is Dr. Keith Ablo. He is a best-selling author, a television commentator, and psychiatrist. Uh, Dr. Ablo, it is great to talk with you again. How have you been? I've been well, Frank. How are you? It's I'm great. Good to talk to you. It's always great to talk with you. Believe me, I know uh, how difficult it is uh, being awake at this time, and I appreciate you uh, making some time for us this early in the morning. So thanks. It is a pleasure. Um, let me begin with some sad news. Uh, we we've been chronicling the law, the passing of Naomi Judd. Now she apparently appears to have taken her own life. And you've got to help our listeners out here because a lot of us look at somebody like Naomi Judd and we see somebody that's uh, beautiful, probably fairly wealthy, um, no question about it, very famous, and appeared to have a loving family and support group around her. What possible reason could someone that has fame, family, uh, looks, and money 
have to kill themselves. What happens? That goes against the grain of what I think a lot of us think about when we think of someone who's suicidal. Well, you know what? Uh, There is no level of success that immunizes you from major depression. And the reason, listen, if you were to sit down with Naomi Judd together with me for 11 minutes, we would get to the heart of what has caused her suffering emotionally in her life. What has stalked her that she hasn't come to terms with? Probably um, there is something very, very significant, but it all comes down to in the end, even if it's a life story issue, it's also a brain chemistry issue that, you know, there's no success that makes your dopamine, serotonin, and norepinephrine, all these chemical messengers in your brain, flow the way that they should. And so what's the reason? The reason actually is major depression. You can be so depressed that the idea of getting ready for an event, as Naomi Judd was anticipating attending, is so daunting that you say, I, I'm, I, I'm so undone by it. I can't even think... I literally can't decide, and I'm on the on the floor of my closet, crying, trying to decide what what to wear. I can't get my mind to work, and that can be so dispiriting that people wrongly think it will always be this way, which it won't. Depression's very treatable. So, uh, someone like Naomi Judd, obviously, unless you've examined her, I'm sure you can't speak to her specific situation, but I'm sure you've seen a lot of profiles like her and hers over the years. Is it that she would have been uh, depressed and possibly suicidal no matter what because of her brain chemistry, or did the pressures of fame and the pressures to perform um, – push her to a breaking point where that depression that uh, she might have been able to contend with if she had some degree of anonymity, that that depression became too much for her to bear? Well, you're asking, you know, an age-old question that gets to the core of psychology and psychiatry, which is, is it brain chemistry or is it your life story? Um, you know, when you if you were to assume, listen, it's got to be somehow involved with their life story. And by the way, I've never met anyone who's depressed where you can't say, well, it looks like there's something very, very complicated that happened in your life uh, that, you know, is still you're ruminating about it. You haven't figured it out. And for Naomi Judd, the question is, well, listen, what did fame mean? Was fame something that caused her to feel good, like a drug? But then underneath that, she was like, well, but I I wasn't ever loved. And I don't know her, so I can't presume to to know her story. But I wasn't ever loved as a kid or I was hurt as a kid. Or, you know, sure, I've been chasing this notoriety and I like it. And I'm very talented, thank God. but, But I don't feel like a worthwhile person anyhow. That is the formula for losing your grip, losing the driver's seat, if you will, of your own life. And that's what depression feels like. People say they don't feel as though they're occupying their own existences. It's terrifying because you don't feel as though you can do anything because you're dislodged, it feels like, from the driver's seat of your own existence terrifying and people say i can't take it they've rated the pain of depression as worse than cancer and yet it's so much more highly treatable people absolutely have to do something 
at every moment to say, listen, I'm not the one who should decide if this is the end because I'm being disempowered by the illness. So I can't think through it the right way. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Dr. Keith Ablo. He's a New York Times bestselling author of 16 books, uh, former columnist for a lot of major publications, including the Washington Post and the New York Post, and a very sought-after radio and TV commentator. You can check out his website at keithablo.com. That's uh, Keith, A-B-L-O, W.com. And there are some ways to actually get in touch with Dr. Ablo if you think you might be dealing with depression or are looking for some resources to help someone that is dealing with depression. Now, uh, Keith, I, I think that many of us have been depressed at one time or another, I, I, either because we're dealing with a personal setback or there's some, uh, you know, there's some external tragedy or maybe just because we just wake up and we get the blues. How do we know if the if the depression that we're feeling at any given time is clinical depression or if it's the normal getting depressed that everyone goes through? You know, people who are clinically depressed aren't just sad. It's a pervasive sense of sadness, number one, but it's also other disturbances. So people describe being unable to sleep. Usually, occasionally they sleep more, but generally they can't get good sleep. And uh, they may experience what's called early morning awakening, where you wake up at this kind of time, 4 o'clock or 3.30 in the morning, and you can't get back to sleep, right? Your appetite may be disturbed, usually very much reduced. You can't concentrate. You're dwelling on very negative thoughts. So it's one thing to be sad. It's another thing to be ruminating about past losses or or choices you made that were self-defeating, you think. Um, And then you're not eating, you're not sleeping, you can't concentrate. This is a whole set of symptoms that truly make you feel as though life has gone dark, right? You're in the basement, a cold basement, and you can't get out. But the truth is, you can, because over 96% of people triumph over major depression. Now, my God, the tools we have to combat it are so much more numerous than they were before. Uh, From transcranial magnetic stimulation, using magnets literally to coax the brain back into action, little magnetic pulses, many new medicines, supplements that work, and never to be underestimated, psychotherapy, a connection with a healer, it can bring you back. And they've proven that with scans of the brain, that when you make a connection with someone who empathizes with your situation, it can make all the difference. Now, if I am somebody that's uh, dealing with depression, and I'm not sure necessarily what the right course of action is, if it's cognitive therapy, if it's uh, medication, if it's something like those that magnetic treatment that you mentioned, how do I know what the most effective course of treatment for depression is for me? Well, the first thing is start, right? So, uh, you know, too many people don't start. You call somebody, you get a clinician, and then you have a bit of a guide to go forward. Uh, Secondly, so one thing is I I wouldn't try to do this without counseling Mm -hmm. because that human connection, it's tremendously important. Um, If somebody reaches for a prescribing pad within the first, you know, 30 seconds of your visit, go somewhere else. Uh, You want to talk to someone. Uh, Secondly, 
You know, right now I'd be hard pressed if anybody out there, by the way, is at the edge of the earth thinking, can I go on today? Look up ketamine and depression. This former anesthetic and, and literally used as a street drug by some people, ketamine, when given IV by people who are knowledgeable, knowledgeable about how to do it, and it's literally 60 minutes, uh, can turn things around so that you get clarity and you're no longer in that dark, cold basement, but you get to see the light for long enough that you say, you know what, what was I thinking? I was thinking my life was over. So ketamine, for those who are literally listening to us up early in the morning because they're feeling like life could be over today, look up ketamine and depression. Find yourself a clinician. If I mean, I can imagine one of the most frustrating things in the world has to be feeling powerless as a family member suffers with the throes of clinical depression and maybe even takes their own life. If someone, and I've known several people, you know, who several families that have had to deal with this. How do, how do you know if a friend or a family member is suffering from depression and uh, how do you go about persuading that person to get the kind of treatment that we're, that we're talking about here? First of all, ask them, right? Too many of us are loath to and shy about literally asking direct questions of a person who might be in that dark place because, you know, we're shy about it. It's like, well, I'm going to ask this person if they're going to end their life. Yeah. And you do it like this. You say, listen, I'm not suggesting that you're here in this terrible place, but you know, if you're thinking it in any way of hurting yourself, you know, you got to tell me and we'll take this on together Um, because some folks will tell you I am. And then it's like, you know, the emergency room or call to the clinician right away that you've already engaged or what, what have you. And so that's the first thing is ask people. And secondly, uh, tell them, listen, right now, remind them, right now, you're not thinking like yourself. So don't start making decisions as though you are. You're not. We're going to make a choice together. So I'm going to take the next step with you. We're going to go, since the medicine hasn't worked, we're going to go and we're going to look up uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation, TMS. We're going to go do that. And you're not out of chances. You're not out of choices. There are so many options for depressed people. I got to tell you again, because I know that somebody out there that's listening to us is depressed right now. You are not finished with options because I've never had anyone come to my office who said who I've had to say, well, you've tried everything. I've never met that person uh, because, you know, something will work. Ninety eight percent of the time, something will work. Um. As I mentioned, this is Mental Health Awareness Month, and uh, I, that is something that so often seems to not be talked about enough in society. And it's something that uh, I think a lot of us may not know how to wrap our heads around. You know, as terrible as cancer is, uh, I think most of us have a, a good understanding of cancer is. It's a, it's a great way. It's easy to uh, make a push for women to get 
mammograms and things of that nature or uh, for prostate cancer awareness month to encourage men uh, to go and get uh, PSA tests or for colon cancer to encourage people to go out and get a colonoscopy. But it, once we intellectually understand the importance of mental health, what do we actually do to encourage people to get to, to assess their own mental health or encourage them to, you know, do the equivalent of a, a colonoscopy or a PSA test for their mental well-being? Well, first, we've got to remind them that it, there's great success in psychiatry and psychology and, you know, uh, all manner of therapy. Um, number one, and that there's so many alternatives because people feel like there aren't. Secondly, how do we get them to get help? We have to remind them that right now the system sucks. Man, the mental health care system, it's like a maze trying to navigate it. So what needs to change? What needs to change? Well, what needs to change is um, that uh, we need to, number one, incentivize people to make the choice uh, physicians and others to make the choice during training to pick mental health care careers. That's one thing. Secondly, we have to put the doctors back in control uh, and uh, let them make the decisions, not the insurance companies, mm. because the insurance companies have dummied this down. I don't mean that anyone isn't capable, but, you know, the truth is, you know, you get, uh, you know, to looking up, well, who should I go see? And it's like, well, you know, what does this mean? This person's a, a, a mental health counselor. Well, sometimes that means that it's not someone who went to college, right? Because the insurers are so happy to kind of press down the level of expertise that people have access to, that that's what's happened, is that sometimes you don't have access to a physician, a psychologist, or, or someone else who can really guide you through this. Um, and, you know, we need absolutely uh, to not only have more clinicians available, but in addition to that, we have to um, encourage people to do the work. So, unfortunately, this whole idea of talking to people, right, has gone out the window. It's like everybody's ready to just prescribe uh, and not necessarily expertly. Um, and so you got to navigate. You got to say to yourself, I'm, I'm engaging in a quest to get the help that I need. And I'm going to involve a family member or a friend to kind of be my co pilot in this because it's a maze. And I'm, I'm looking for real help, not fake help. Um, there's another thing that anybody with depression should do. Here's how easy it is go to any website, go to Amazon, go to any website, go to CVS. Buy yourself curcumin. Now, why do I say that? I don't own stock in curcumin. Curcumin is derived from the Indian spice turmeric. Curcumin, believe it or not, when uh, pitted against Prozac in clinical trials, where they give you either the curcumin capsules or Prozac, they're equivalent. So even if you haven't gone, and you should, to go see a doctor, if you want to do something innocuous without side effects that can literally boost your mood as well as an antidepressant, take curcumin. Mm. Um, and it's amazing that people don't know about that yet because people look at me with shock every time I tell them that. They're like, wait a second, a spice? I'm like, yeah, spice. It's anti-inflammatory, huh. which is probably why it works. And it's, you know, 
11 bucks a bottle for a month. Now, this is uh, a shot. that's great. This is the first I'm hearing of this. I'm glad we had this talk. In your view, and maybe this is impossible to pin down, how common is mental illness? And I ask that question fully realizing that mental illness is such a broad catch-all category that uh, might uh, in- include people that are totally dysfunctional and need to be institutionalized and people that could benefit from a little bit more curcumin and some occasional talk therapy in their lives. But how would you answer that question of how common mental illness is? Dude, it's everywhere. If you're a human on the planet, assume you know more than one one person who's suffering with clinical level anxiety and or depression, not to mention attention deficit problems and things like that. But it is epidemic. And part of it's the COVID epidemic and coming out of that mm. and still being in it a little bit. Part of it, or, or somewhat, uh, part of it is um, the fact that, you know, we're living as semi-robots. We're dealing with technology to such an extent that you can feel as if you're being sucked into that technological maelstrom, right, where you're literally, your head spinning, you're trying to integrate so many different technologies, your, your attention is fractured by TikTok, Facebook, this, that. Um, it's tough being human right now, not to mention, you know, all the social things being thrown at people, all the choices that they're invited to make now. It's a very difficult time. Again, someone around you or you uh, and there are people who are listening for whom this is the case um, is battling one condition or another right now. And there is help, but you have to work a bit to get the help you need. And for people who don't understand what it's like, listen, major depression, for instance, or panic disorder, to look at anxiety, is more like, if you wanted an analogy, it's more like having a stroke where you can't move your left arm. So telling somebody, move your left arm, move your left arm, that's not going to work, dude. You know, my brain's not working. And because you can move, people too frequently think, well, just, you know, pull yourself up and let's go. What are you sad about? No, 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 my brain's not working. And for Naomi Judd, literally her brain wasn't working. It couldn't generate the circuitry and the flow to make her feel alive. And so she felt more like death and chose it. Anybody out there thinking that or who has a friend or relative or loved one or acquaintance, who expresses this notion, I don't even know if it's worth going on. You got to tell them, listen, you know why you don't know? Your brain's not working. Okay, stop thinking that that's how things are. It isn't. You've got it all wrong because your brain's not working right. Let's get it working the right way. Well, I know you are the founder of something called Pain to Power, which has already helped a lot of folks. Uh, What exactly is Pain to Power? Oh, so pain to power is basically the notion that anything you're going through or which you have lived through is the source of your strength. Uh, Nothing will do you in as long as your perspective is, okay, I'm going to take the lessons I can from this and triumph over it. It's very much about mental health awareness month or week because basically it's saying, um, As long as you opt for tomorrow, 
it will be in the rearview mirror. These things that look like they're going to do you in are going to fuel you. The things that are painful to you, we're going to delve into them. Let's take psychotherapy, and we're going to find out what's been slowing you down. What haven't you looked at in your life that's painful, that when we look at it together, we're going to turn it into power because Mm. we're going to release you from negative patterns that you didn't even know you were still playing through. And maybe they're rooted in things that happened when you were nine. It's painful. And it might hurt to go back and look at it a bit. But you know what? We're going to turn that pain into power. Or someone loses a business and says, it's over. It's over for me. I've lost everything. No, you haven't. In fact, you're going to look back. The future defines the past. You're going to look back and say, man, that was tough. But I'm a warrior now. I'm crushing it. And that's true for so many people. Nobody leaves the movie theater because the main character is in trouble. No one's getting up and saying, ah, Tom Cruise, he's in a mess of trouble. Let's go. Now, we only do that in our own lives. We're like, Keith Ablo, he's in so much trouble, I'm out. No, you're not. Sit down, have some more popcorn. The tide is going to turn. Well, that's great, and I, I know you've uh, you've dealt with your uh, your fair share of uh, of setbacks professionally as well. And uh, I've I always have. been I've always I'm been impressed <laughs> at uh, how you've been able to uh, stay so motivated and so energetic that you don't let any of this stuff get to you. At least it seems that way. You still seem laser focused on uh, on your goals. Well, listen, it, it gets to you. That's not. I'm not. I'm not Teflon. It, it things hurt me. I'm human, right? But I take a quizzical view of the bad things that visit me. I think to myself, "Huh, what's this about? Mm. How's this going to turn out good?" And that, I literally ask myself that question. You know, when the when the DEA raided my office, mm. I I literally that moment said, "Wow, where's this going?" So I didn't think, "Oh my God." I'm being completely, uh, you know, uh, set back in my chair. This is the end of something. I thought this is going to be a journey. Well, uh, Keith, I want to thank you very much for getting up early with us. I appreciate the time. I'll look forward to chatting again soon. You got it, pal. I'll talk to you soon, Frank. Thank you. You want to learn more about Keith Ablo? Go to KeithAbloh.com. There's links to Pain to Power. There's links to the Ablo Center. Uh, you could check out his books. He's written a bunch of books on a variety of subjects. 800-848-WABC. We'll do 15 seconds of fame straight ahead. WABC. Thank you, Stevie G, for one of our two theme songs that we use on a regular basis. Uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to be heard for 15 seconds. We have four open lines if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. Bernie and Sid coming up at 6. The WABC early news coming up at 5. 
Uh, Bernie and Sid are going to have on Rob Astorino uh, in the 8 o'clock hour. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what he has to say. A great interview with uh, Andrew Giuliani yesterday. They'll also talk to Bo Deedle. Meantime, it is time for... Other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of faith. Actually, only time for one today. Fred is in Yonkers. Hello. Hey, Frank, did you hear about that geometry teacher that got in trouble for teaching a class to teach Sokotoa songs? <laughs> I don't think he's a bad person. On that note, uh, we'll have to slam the lid on things. The WABC Early News with Deb Valentine is next. Frank Moreno, good day.